The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be reviewing nights 6 through 8 of the G1 Climax 30, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostentees.com, so that's Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for njpwworld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Happy Lord's Day. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we are recording on a Sunday afternoon, uh, not our typical day. Uh, normally record on Monday nights, but yeah, switching it up this week. Well, it's just like, you know, I've got, eh, things are busy and, you know, typically midweek I, I go to the Sai Dojo to train uh, in the pugilistic arts. And uh, that's not going to be possible because this coming Thursday we're going to be partying with your boys. That's right. We got a big occasion coming up, you know. Founder of uh, One Nation Radio and host there, and you know one of our social suplex guys, Rich Latta. You've heard him here on this show. He's getting married this weekend, so having a little yeah. little bachelor party action here on coming out Thursday. And you know what that means? We called up Ujiro. <laughs> <laughs> told him, we told him, you know, he's got international connects. Told him to hook us up. So uh, yeah, we're gonna have a party, man. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, uh, you know, uh, I had to change things up Monday night to kind of free up Thursday, so that's why we're coming to you on a Sunday. Yep, and then the episode will be dropping on Monday instead of Tuesday. So happy G one! You get us a day earlier than usual on your feeds, uh, an extra day to listen to keeping a strong style into your schedule yeah. there. And it's all going to balance out because you know, had we recorded Monday, we would have probably been covering. 
tomorrow morning's show, but now we're not. So what that means is next week, instead of five shows, we've got six shows to review. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's there's always that one stretch during the G1. You're you're like early on it. You're like, you know, it's going pretty good. Like I'm I'm staying up to date. It's not that bad. They're spacing these things out. And then like night 10 or something happens and all of a sudden they, they just cram them all together. But this is maybe the worst stretch I've ever seen. It's six nights in seven days. So it's like you get one off day in the middle of the week and that's it. It's crazy. Yeah, we have officially entered into the dog days of the G1 climax. And yeah, man, this is going to just it's like drinking from a fire hydrant. It's just going to keep coming at us, man. I've never drank from a fire hydrant. Have you? <laughs> I haven't, but it's an expression that I hear a lot, and I, I thought it, it fit well here. Oh, nice, man. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm down. Let's try it. Like, <laughs> Thursday night, bachelor party, drinking from the fire hydrant, whatever let's, that means. Let's, let's get a, a white claw fire hydrant. Good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be drinking that honey. <laughs> I, I I have no clue what we're going to be doing for the bachelor party, uh, speaking of which, but that's good. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. I was, talking to Rich, I was talking to Rich. I was like, yo, do you want, like, a crown? Should we get you, like, a scepter? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what's the deal? Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, we'll figure that all out. So let's uh, jump into the thing that I'm The thing I'm excited to talk about more so than the G1, more so than, you know, strong – it's the C block, bro. Let's talk about the C block today. Yes, let's talk about the C block. So we had our young lines in action on night six, night seven, night eight. On night six, we had Yumora defeating Gabriel Kidd. Seven, we had Suji defeating Yumora. And then on night eight, we had a draw between Gabriel Kidd and Yota Suji. What have you been thinking about the young lines on this stretch so far? You know, here's the thing, man. Just when you think you got Gato figured out, you know, he changes all the questions, man. Uh, who could have possibly seen a 15-minute draw? Man, this man, this guy, wild, bro, <laughs> wild. So we're, we're guaranteed to get some winner of the C block one way or the other because I can't see them having, you know, two other, you know, 15-minute draws or anything like that. So it really changes things up. Um, yeah, I don't know. what. Other than that, though, I mean – all kidding aside, it's been it's been really good. I thought that uh, there was a particular match. I think it was night six, Yumor and Gabriel Kid that I thought was very good. But um, same solid action that you always expect to get from these young lions. Been interesting who they've had go over in each match. You know, Yumora went over Gabriel Kid night six. Suji went over uh, Yumora night seven, and then we got a fifteen minute draw between Gabriel Kid and Suji, uh, which I thought was fine. But um, you know, it's it, it's interesting kind of what's going to happen long term, you know, at the end of this tour for these guys, I guess. Yeah, out of all those three, I really enjoyed the uh, the 15 minute time limit draw with Kid and Suji the most. There's a lot of fire, a lot of action there, kind of that d- desperation of trying to get the fall uh, as time is running out. And, you know, Kid trying to use that new uh, double arm suplex he's been using to pick up some wins. And, of course, Suji kind of trying to just outpower Kid. And, yeah, they, just, they all fail to win. And I'm loving the promos that these guys are cutting backstage, just, you know, Obviously, not, kid. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not loving Gabriel Kidd's promo. Well, so yeah, I, I noticed. Like, I listened to the promos last night, and like Gabriel Kidd is like his beginnings and endings are good. 
yeah, it's everything yeah. in the middle. I'm like, dude, like, get like you said last week. Get to the point, man. Like, I I get it. Like, you got some camera time. You're trying to make the most of you know speaking on the mic. But I'm like, dude, like you're there like way longer than anybody else, man. Like, you just in in terms of the hierarchy of uh, UK talent promos in New Japan, it goes like this in order, starting at the top. Zack Saber Jr. Underneath that, you've got uh, Gabriel Kidd, and then underneath that, you've got Will Ospreay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that, that's that's pretty accurate. Uh, <laughs> oh my god! But anyways, yeah. So uh, G- Gabriel Kidd and Suji both got one point from that draw. So you know, we we've kind of been hypothesizing who's going to get what points, and you know, kind of throwing that monkey wrench in there. It's definitely going to change up who wins one way or the other just because you're not getting the same standard two points every single match like you normally would. Right. And the funny thing is they're, they're talking like they're actually competing in a C block. Because, like, Suji I mean, like, they basically are. I mean, they are. But, I mean, obviously it's not official. But, you know, Suji's like, we're going to find out who's going to win this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, win what? <laughs> yeah. So there's your weekly uh, C block update. Uh, I know we had a question here yeah from viking pain he says why is gabe kid still repping the la dojo when he's practically part of the tokyo dojo at this point he's like the kid in high school who transfers to a new school but still reps his old one because you gotta rep your set <laughs> don't you know this viking pain my god la oh, dojo man. till you die yeah once you're la dojo you're la dojo for, for life, life. <laughs> <laughs> You never get out. Um, I don't know. I mean, the, the reality is, like, I don't think he is considered, like, Tokyo Dojo. Like, I think he is still L.A. Dojo. He just happened to be there in the middle of a, you know, pandemic and got stuck. <laughs> right. And, I mean, Shibata is over there. So maybe he's having separate training sessions with just Shibata while Suji and Yamura are doing the normal thing. Bro, wouldn't that suck if you are in the L.A. Dojo and, like all the LA dojo kids are like doing their shit. And then you you're doing private lessons with Shibata and it's like way harder, way worse. You're like, you know, I don't, they don't have to do this shit. And then he smacks you with like a stick. <laughs> and like that, that, that would suck. I think that's a more like accurate representation of what's probably been going on, especially since Gabriel kids been making so many, uh, you know, vast uh, improvements over such a short period of time. He's probably like just getting destroyed by, uh, Shabbat every day. Yeah. <laughs> well, yep, that's our C block update. So now we're going to move into uh, B block and the A block here. We'll start with the B block this week since uh, they had the majority of the shows that we're going to be talking about this week. And we'll be. Go ahead. Oh, I see. I, you know what? I totally forgot we were doing the format where we discussed the actual block. And I'm like, all right, night six, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to run through the, the rankings and talk about each guy and their matches that way. I think it's a little bit of a faster, I think it's a little bit of a better way to get through when we have all these multiple nights to talk about here. Um, so no, nah, next week I want to do night by night. <laughs> all six <laughs> nights. <laughs> oh, man. So let's talk uh, Let's talk about the leader in the B-block, uh, Tetsuya Naito, the current double reigning double IWGP champion. Yeah, so Naito, he's tied actually on top of the block here with six points, three wins, and one loss. 
So on night six, he defeated Hiroki Goto, 21 minutes, 58 seconds. And then on night eight, he was defeated by his fellow LIJ stablemate, Sonata, 27 minutes and eight seconds. Thoughts on Naito and these two matches? Yeah, so um, the Sonata match is very interesting. First time ever in the history of that faction since that faction's formed where a current stablemate has defeated Tetsuya Naito in uh, singles action ever. And Naito's wrestled almost all of his uh, compatriots in singles action since the group formed. And this is the first time he's ever been defeated by one of them. Um, I know there's some people right now that are saying evil, but keep in mind, evil joined the bullet club earlier this year, just before he, uh, you know, defeated Tetsuya Naito. So that one wouldn't really count. But, um, yeah, I think Tetsuya Naito, uh, it's kind of a mixed bag because prior to winning the titles, he he was kind of on a downward slump. Part of that was story. Part of that was like a shoot. <laughs> uh, and then since he's like won the titles, he hasn't really had the strongest year. However, since defeating Evil earlier at the Summer Struggle, he's really been on kind of a resurgence. But I wouldn't call Tetsuya Naito like I wouldn't say he's like back in tip top shape or back in true form. Like it's a better version of him, but it's not like 2016 or 2017 Naito or even, you know, it's not even like early 2019 Naito, to be honest with you. Like um, I do think that there's got to be something wrong because physically he's not able to do a lot of the same things he was able to do with the same crispness, the same delivery, the same, he can't perform the same as he did before. Uh, and even in, in these two matches, he put forth like a really strong effort. So you can't complain too much about the matches. The matches were good, but it's not like Naito is looking like to me an IWGP champion in any of these matches. Um, they are telling a story though, where right now every he's in the main event every night. And every match is going, you know, on average, he's averaging about 26 minutes per night. And, uh, you know, eight nights in, you know, he's being worn down. So I don't know if that really that might be something that really plays into their hand as far as like his health, as far as like, uh, you know, the story that they're trying to tell is, you know, with with him just being like, um, I don't know, overexerted in his matches, something like that. Yeah, that, that could be the story they're telling here. Like you mentioned, pretty much majority of his matches have been really teasing that 30-minute draw, getting close to that 30 minutes. I think his shortest match so far has been the go-to match from night six that only went uh, 21 minutes. And like you, I agree. I feel like his performances have been good, but obviously not uh, top of the line. Honestly, I think extending the matches out towards the 30-minute time period might be hurting them a little bit. I feel like if they were maybe a little bit shorter, um, the matches might be a little bit tighter um, and a little bit, and it might favor him better, especially just with the broken down knees and just how the state of his body right now. Um, yeah, I don't feel like every every main event needs to be, you know, the epic, you know, close to thirty minute main event. I don't know. There's just as I've as I'm learning more and more about actual mechanics of wrestling. You know, it it is a different experience. Uh, just simply watching as a fan and I, I for sure I'm watching as a fan. I don't want to sound pretentious, but I just, there's certain things that, that catch your eye and like the way he rolls is different. The way he bumps is different. The way he moves in the ring. It's just all kind of, 
it's not what it was before. It's not crisp. You know what I mean? Right. Um, not that that should matter to other people. It, I mean, that definitely wouldn't like ruin your enjoyment of his matches, but, um, the pacing of his matches, like you mentioned, they're longer. I hadn't actually considered too much that they might be teasing a draw, but uh, that probably actually is a, is a good uh, point to make because just like what we mentioned, the C block, if they do end up doing some sort of draw that might really affect, you know, the, the standings in the block as far as where Naito ends up. Um, but as far as like the overall matches, the Goto match um, was good. I didn't think it was great. The Sonata match was one that I think I'm in the minority where I didn't really quite enjoy it to the levels where a lot of other people did. I know there's a big story there. Sonata coming in undefe- or uh, with no wins and Naito being undefeated. Them being in uh, Sonata's hometown, correct? Uh, I don't think they were in Sonata's hometown. Okay, maybe they weren't. But I he mentioned in the post show that like he said – that was his favorite place to be. I, right. I just kind of that, thought that, that's remember that gimmick he was doing when he was like in the main event and winning, like he would say each city he's is in is his favorite city. No, I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the story there, basically them just being in the same stable and there's been like a power struggle this year to begin with. So th- there was kind of like a lot riding on that. Sonata had lost. He'd be out of the tournament and uh, he was able to get the best of Naito. But to me, I found the match a little underwhelming. It wasn't bad by any means, but it was just uh, kind of meandering, a little slow paced. Um, I didn't, there wasn't a lot for me to sink my teeth into. And I'm someone who does like LIJ. So um, I saw a lot of people throwing like four stars and things like that around. I I didn't think it was quite that level, but I I think it depends on how sucked in you are by the story they were telling really. Yeah, and this is the one I know I, I said earlier that maybe you know not all matches need to go thirty minutes, but I did thought this match kind of started off with that slow kind of pace and did kind of build up to the finish there. Um, it was it was a little bit sloppy. There were some spots that didn't quite connect or uh, weren't didn't go off the way they intended. But overall, I thought it's all a great story. And uh, Sonata winning obviously kind of shakes some things up there and could potentially get him a title shot even if he doesn't win. The B block, um, the Naito Goto match. I was a little bit disappointed just because traditionally those two guys have really great matches together, um, and this was the main event of the show. It wasn't it like it was an opener or mid card or anything? Like it was the main event, and um, obviously it seems like something's up with Goto. And we'll talk about him um, a little bit later, um, but yeah, just the chemistry just seemed off that night, and it was still a good match, but it just didn't reach that like great level that you would expect when you see Naito and Goto on paper in the main event of Cork and Hall. And also, too, speaking of Cork and Hall, like, they were, um, the energy levels in there were, weren't were as high as usual. And I know it's a clap crowd and they can't cheer, but even compared to all the other, I agree. All the other clap crowds, I feel like all the Cork and matches were hurt um, just by the lack of enthusiasm and lack of, like, hypeness in the claps compared to, let's say, like, Osaka or some of the other cities we see that kind of get really hype um, into these matches. Yeah, the only thing I was glad here was last week I said Goto was going to lose. You said he's going to win. He didn't win. That kind of made me happy. <laughs> I bumped the match up a quarter star based off that alone. So. And, and I docked it half a star based off that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Naito's still doing fantastic. Six points, three and one. The IWGB champion is always going to be in play going into the final nights of the tournament. And like you mentioned, the ramifications of a, of a uh, Sonata win are not lost on us. So, uh, you know, interesting place where he is at this point. Um, 
I think the field of competitors that are kind of catching up to him and gaining uh, is very interesting. Uh, you want to talk about Juice Robinson? Yeah, let's, talk, one. Yeah, let's talk about Juice. Uh, six six points also, three and one record. Night six, he lost to the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and then on night eight, he defeated Toriyano. Thoughts on yeah, Juice? Yeah, and um, that's a big deal because if you think about it, I mean – Toriano undefeated juggernaut in this block, just running roughshod over the, the field of competition. Provisional and, uh, KOPW 2020 champion. Lineal provisional yes. champion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this man juice had to take a stand and say, you know, not on my watch. No, sir. Toriano, you will not just run the gamut. You're not going, you know, nine and oh, 18 points. The buck stops with me. And, uh, you know, he threw down the gauntlet, and uh, these guys went to war, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just an epic uh, six-minute, 42-second battle for the, the top of B block here. You know, it's funny. It went six minutes and 42 seconds, and as I watch this, my girlfriend's just like, this is going too long. <laughs> <laughs> That's a real thing that happened. <laughs> That's hilarious. But uh, in, in all seriousness um, – I was a little disappointed by Juice and Tanahashi. Uh, I remember them having a, a New Japan Cup match a few years ago that I thought was phenomenal. And so I was kind of hoping maybe we'd get something to that same extent. Not quite. Uh, I was a little disappointed, but not much to complain about. Um, you know, Juice took his first loss, and then he was able to... Uh, they told a nice story where at the end of the Yano match, Yano tried a similar uh, victory roll pinfall that Tanahashi had used on night six, but juice was kind of scouted and, uh, you know, was able to reverse that into his own pinfall to, to beat Toriano. So they told a nice little contained story there. Um, one thing I will say this, I've been, um, a little behind. So I've actually been able to catch some English presentation of the G one and, uh, it's helped a little bit, but one thing that was cool, uh, they, they talked about like discussing, the outfit choice that Juice Robinson had. And it is in fact a, uh, like homage to the blues brothers. So we don't have to kind of wonder anymore if this is Scott juice Robinson or whatever the fuck it is. Like he's like playing, he's cosplaying as a blues brother, I guess, uh, apparently. Yeah. I did hear on the Japanese commentary on one of the nights, one of the female commentators, I heard her say the words blues brothers, but I didn't know if she was like, for sure, saying that or just kind of making fun of him. <laughs> she was just like speculating, yeah, like how we we do every week. Like, yeah. what the fuck is this? <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that, that. What she was saying, like, what is this man wearing? Like, <laughs> uh, but um, overall, again, Juice has been looking very, you know, good in the tournament. Um, I think we've seen him look a lot better in the past. So it's you know, I I think that there's obviously a, a much higher parameter of performance that he could hit. And it's not quite there, but not much to complain about. Um, we're still at that midpoint in the tournament where, you know, someone who has, you know, three and one, there's still five more nights to go. So, I mean, it's kind of wide open field, but, uh, you know, good for juice. Yeah. Also some, uh, you know, very entertaining promos, uh, both night and kind of the key for night six. So after he lost to Tanahashi, he was guaranteeing that he was going to beat Yano. There was no way that he was going to walk out of that building with a loss to Yano. And he kind of backed that guarantee up. And after that match, kind of saying, you know, I told you, I told you I was not losing, losing Yano. And of course that match was filled with all kinds of shenanigans and, you know, Yano trying to get Juice to go outside and, uh, end up 
Juice ended up pouring the hand sanitizer on Yano's eyes. Almost got a, a count out victory off of that. Uh, and then eventually, Juice just got down to business, hit the left hand of God, and got the pulp friction. One thing I will say, um, as far as the Yano matches, they've been a little... Uh, they haven't completely landed with me as much as they typically do, but I felt like this Juice Robinson match was maybe the second best Yano performance since maybe the Sonata match in this tournament, as far as my personal enjoyment. Um, And I think it's because a guy like Juice is really good at comedic stuff. And so his timing and delivery was just kind of, it was all landing for me for whatever reason. Um, Juice also cut a promo that night and basically was like, dude, you can't bullshit a bullshitter. That's the reason (laughs) you didn't beat me. He's like, he's like, you know, I'm a bullshitter. Look at what I'm wearing. Look at what I'm wearing. So you know I'm a bullshitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, I was like, this man's openly acknowledging, like, the fuck shit he's wearing. Yeah. He he knows, he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, <laughs> that's that's his whole game plan. Yeah. Uh, I got the finish there wrong. So he did. He tried to do the, the, the Pope Friction, but um, it was, got, got blocked there. And then Juice ended up getting a cradle on Yano to get the win there. Yeah. As I said earlier, he tried to. I mentioned that. Remember? Yeah, but I, I said he he had to win with the pull friction, so I just wanted to correct myself. I, I heard you make that mistake. I wasn't going to correct you on there. I was going <laughs> to save it for later in private. But you know. <laughs> yeah, I, wanted to I actually my, didn't realize you did that. <laughs> wanted to correct myself before anybody else come come you know slide in the DMs and be like, "Hey, man, you, you, you messed so up the they finish." Come, they come for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh man! But yeah. So uh, since we're talking about Toriano. Um, He's up next. He's also tied for first place. Six points, three wins, one loss. Yeah, night six, he defeated Evil with four minutes and 33 seconds. And like we just mentioned, night eight, he defeat, he lost to Juice Robinson, six minutes and 14 seconds. I was so happy to see this man beat Evil. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, dude, yeah, if you, if you really think about it, Yano's not really having too much of a different year than he normally does. I mean, he's beaten Evil, he beat Tanahashi, and then uh, who was the other person he beat? Um, Sonata. Sonata. And we've kind of mentioned in the past how he plays spoiler, or, you know, usually is the guy that balances things out for s- some of the bigger names, you know, giving them losses that are plausible, but not really, like, damaging losses. Um, I didn't think he was going to beat all those people. I thought they were going to kind of spread these out. But they chose to do them all back to back to back, which is kind of a cool little narrative there because it makes him look like he's going on a little run. I think similar to like what they've done with, like say, Tiger Mask in Super Juniors in the past. He'll start on a little hot streak and get some wins. But I'm pretty sure that the buck stops here. I can only see Toriano getting like maybe one more win. I expect him to see... I expect to see him, you know, eating probably four losses in in the next five subsequent matches. Well, you see what happened here is, you know, Yano's coming to this thing as a lineal provisional KLPW 2020. He's a champion. You know, most of the champions have had a good start in this tournament. So, you know, they had to give Yano a hot run here, get him those three wins, make, you, make him a credible champion here. The funny thing is, like, we can crack jokes about that. And stuff like that because we're talking about B block. We would not be talking in such like a, a light tone. As we're talking about the A block, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking about stories. We're talking about you know, uh, just different little things like that. But like when we start talking about A block, we're like, all right, 
this nice slapped. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I gotta be honest with you, even though the B block nights have not been terrible by any means, they haven't really hit for me. Like they're not slapping like that, you know? Right. On the A block nights, you're getting, you know, two really, really great matches. The other matches are pretty good. It's a, you know, it's an awesome night of wrestling. And then B block, not B block nights are just kind of, eh. you might get one notebook match, but the rest are just kind of there. Um, as far as Yano and Evil is concerned, though, I I fully expected Evil to get a win here. Yano flipped the script. He was able to, you know, after a bunch of shenanigans, get the double low blows on both Evil and Dick Togo. Roll up Evil, one, two, three. Uh, four minutes, 33 seconds, and uh, away we go. Yeah, so that puts Yano at six points now. So he's tied up there with Juice and Naito, like we mentioned. And so... Yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what in this next five-night, five-six-night stretch that we have this week, kind of what Yano's uh, performance and his wing streak is going to do. Yeah. Um, next up, we have the submission master, Zack Sabre Jr. Two wins, two losses. He uh, was de- defeated by Kenta on night six, and then uh, he was able to defeat Hiroki Goto in three minutes and 59 seconds on night eight. Yeah, so very interesting with that last match of Goto. Um, the night six match of Kenta, um, very hard-hitting matchup here. And it, we kind of see this with Zack Sabre when he's facing a striker. Um, he kind of gets lured into the striker's game. He tries to outstrike the striker. And it just fails because obviously he's not as strong as most of the strikers he's going against and doesn't have that you know the, the framework to kind of handle the punishment of these big strikes. So he kind of fell into that trap again. And Kenta was just kind of able to outstrike him and get the better of him and eventually hit the go to sleep and get the win over Sabre here. Basically, Jeremy's saying, Zack Sabre, you're a weak-ass bitch. (laughs) 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 Um, How did you feel about this this match, Jeremy? Because I know uh, I've seen a lot of people that really praise this match, and I... I wasn't sold on it. What were you thinking? Yeah, and we did have a question about it, too, from Highest Fly Flow. He said, can we agree that Kenta versus Zack Sabre was the match of the tournament so far? Is it unanimous? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> um, I will say I, I do not agree that Sabre or Kenta was match of the tournament. I don't think it came anywhere close to being match of the tournament. That being said, I, I did enjoy the match. Like I said, it was very hard-hitting. Uh, I've seen a nice exchange of submissions there with uh, Sabre working, trying to work his game plan. Uh, I thought it was a pretty good match. It probably one of the better matches on night eight. I was, think I was somewhere between three and a half, three point seven five. Um, and I thought for you know fifteen minutes and being these two guys, it, it was you know really good for what it was, but nowhere near match of the tournament for me. Yeah, I would I would totally agree. I I did think the match was good. Uh, did you think it was match of the night night six? Is that what you just said? I think it was one of the matches of night. Hold on, let me look. So, so night six we had um, Naito and Goto. We had Juice and Tanahashi, Kenta Saber, Yano Evil, um, and then who else was there? Yoshihashi and Sonata. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, Saber and Kenta was the match of the night this night. You thought it was better than Yoshihashi and Sonata? Yeah. Uh, hmm. I don't know. Well, anyways, <laughs> I, w- I would pretty much agree with you. It, it was one of the better matches that night. Uh, probably, it probably was the match of the night. I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. And yeah, three and a half probably sounds right to me. 
Um, I, I guess if someone went three and three quarters, I wouldn't argue with them. Uh, it was, it was good, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've just seen a lot of praise for the match in different circles. So I wasn't sure if I was missing something, but, uh, I didn't think that this was any, any and I actually didn't look at any of these questions. I didn't know why Fly Flow asked that, um, <laughs> Match of the night, maybe. Match of the tournament? Oh, no. Heck no. Like, we've got we got some match of the year contenders in here. Yeah. And uh, I'm never going to talk about Kenta's Zack Sabre Jr. match ever again after this. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be one of those G match, G1 matches that's kind of get lost in the shuffle. And it's, it's... Is it, though? It's just going to be – it was good. It wasn't even really, like, a great match. Like, sometimes great matches get lost in the shuffle, like – like that Ishii versus Elgin match that I showed you the other day. That's a match that got lost in the shuffle. That's like incredible, but people kind of forgot about. This is just a match that just happened. It, you know, right? It was good. I, I'm just saying, like, by the, at, at the end of this tournament, we're talking about like the top ten matches of the tournament. This is probably not going to even crack the top ten. It's probably not going to be in the top forty. Yeah, I mean, it's gonna yeah, it's gonna be down the, toward the lower end, lower end. Yeah. And that's not it bad. Good, a lot, there's been a lot of you know high-quality matches so far. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, but the next night was interesting as Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, dispatched Hiroki Goto in under four minutes. Um, seems that there is potentially a shoulder injury for Hiroki Goto. Um, I don't know if it's just kayfabe or if it's actual shoot or you know a combination of the two. Uh, I wasn't privy to anything about Goto being injured going into this match until I saw like all the tape. I mean, do you did you know anything about that? Well, I mean, he came into the G one with the shoulder taped up from night two. Yeah. The, sh- the shoulder was taped up, and so yeah, I didn't know if that was a kayfabe kind of thing because before that, his last match was I think was defending the Never Six Man titles before G one, and I didn't think he was taped up then, and I didn't hear about any injuries coming off of that match. So, yeah, so I, I initially kind of thought maybe it was just kind of a, a kayfabe kind of thing, but it seems like it might be a serious injury. There's no uh, confirmed reports on it, but just based on his performances throughout the tournament, I do feel like he is, you know, suffering with some kind of nagging injury and he is hurt. And that's possibly why they, you know, decided to make this match, you know, four minutes, get in and get out of there and just have Sabre squash this man. I'm not going to speculate one way or the other. I mean, because I really don't know. It could be that he is truly, uh, you know, injured. It could be that he's not, and it's just a story that they're trying to tell to add some color to this thing. Um, or it could really be a combination of the two, similar to like what we saw with Juice Robinson and his broken hand a, a year or two ago. So it uh, kind of remains to be seen. One thing that does need to be talked about, though, is if uh, the injury is real and he ends up having to drop out, that would really change the, the blocks uh, and the point totals and everything of that nature quite a bit but uh i didn't think this match was anything special it's just real interesting zach was able to uh get goto out of there fairly quickly and then um afterwards zach cut an incredible promo yeah that was awesome he was like, <laughs> he was like i don't know if you know but the g in g1 stands for goto and he just like laughs and walks <laughs> off and that was it that was the whole promo it was hilarious bro i laughed so freaking hard <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but um zach is having a, a very good tournament um i wouldn't say his performances are anything transcendent like i wouldn't show any of these matches to people who are not fans of zach saber to try and convince them how good he is 
But for people that like Zack Sabre Jr. and his style of wrestling, they're probably pretty pleased so far with his tournament. Yeah, like you said, I think he's doing pretty good. Obviously, nothing you know out of this world. He hasn't had really a super high-level match yet. Uh, but he's doing good, having some good performances, and you know, still alive in this thing with four points. And also with four points, we have the King of Darkness, Evil, two wins and two losses. On night six, he lost to Yano, like we mentioned, and then on night eight, he defeated his Bullet Club stablemate, Kenta. Um, yeah, so Evil has been interesting. Uh, we kind of discussed what happened on night six. Uh, Toriano, it's unfortunate he lost to him because for someone like Evil, that was some low, low-hanging low fruit. It seemed like that was a very winnable match for him, and he kind of dropped the ball. So, um, you know, at that point, that would put him at one and two, not doing so hot, you know, for a former IWGB champion. You know, you'd kind of expect better, but, uh, you know, he got, he got Yano'd. That's what happened. <laughs> so he had a, a big chip on his shoulder going into night eight. Uh, and the match with Kenta, very interesting first time in ring, you know, confrontation between, you know, these two bullet club members, but keep in mind, Kenta was in the States when evil joined the bullet club. So we've never seen them interact on any level whatsoever. Um, was not impressed with this match. Yeah, I think with this match, they were trying to do a little bit more, uh, you know, quote-unquote story. Beginning of the match, you know, we had Kenta offering up the two-sweet, Evil two-sweets Dick Togo instead of Kenta. And then throughout the match, we see Evil kind of using the same game plan and cheating and attacking Kenta, attacking the injured arm, doing, you know, the baseball chair spot on the outside to Kenta and still kind of cheating and treating Kenta like pretty much how he would treat Anybody else, and so even post match, you know, he said, you know, regarding Kenta, no comment. So they're kind of like yeah. teasing some stuff here that there there might be some dissension between some of the guys that were in the U.S. and Evil. And we kind of knew that that was definitely a possibility, but it's good to kind of see the confirmation here uh, in terms of the the work. Um, I'll, I I won't break it down, but. I've had complaints about Kenta's work and I've had complaints about evil's work. And this was like a combination of, uh, those, my complaints of both of their styles in more recent times. Um, again, I think both guys are having pretty good tournaments, but this match was, I felt like a low for me personally, um, 15 minutes and 40 seconds. I, I just wasn't really with it, but, uh, for people that are really engrossed in the, Bullet Club Civil War dissension storyline, they probably ate it up, you know. Um, but it is interesting, um, you know, where we kind of go from here once this tournament's over. I mean, I think a lot of it will depend on um, these two guys in particular, Kenta and Evil, are both going to be factored into the finals on the last night. They're both facing Sonata and Naito, respectively. So. I don't think this is the last you're going to see of the kind of animosity and contention between these two guys. Definitely. And we did have some questions here revolving around the Bullet Club Civil War. So first, remember to use a Rambone Slam Pig. He says, now that the storyline that everyone has been clamoring for has apparently kicked off, whose side are you on in the Bullet Club Civil War Part 2? The Elite. (laughs) 
Oh, man. I stand with Cody. <laughs> <laughs> the real leader of the book. I stand with Adam Cole. Adam Cole, and, baby. Uh, I have no actual... Um, this is just me personally as a fan. I, as a fan, am not interested in a Bullet Club Civil War. Um, if the matches are going to be anything like what we saw from Evil and Kenta, why would I want to see it? The one good thing is I do think that the Bullet Club has become stale over the past couple years. And a change is in order. And this might tie up certain guys that people don't have as much affinity for. Like Jay White and like you know, evil and give them something to do that kind of keeps them over here on the sideline while Shingo and Will Ospreay and Kota Ibushi and the main players can uh, fight over the title, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think the, the key thing here is, so we saw a little bit of kind of teased dissension here between evil and Kenta, but I think the real key is going to be Jay White and kind of what, you know, the interactions between Jay White and evil, obviously they're in separate blocks, separate, you know, traveling towards right now not much time to interact it's gonna be really interesting what happens when those two finally interact and kind of where the battle lines are going to be drawn i'm not going to be on evil side though whichever side that is that's for sure not going to be my side yeah anti-evil <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, uh then viking pain asks he says evil and dick togo ignoring kenta on the group too sweet makes me think that evil and dick won't be in bc long term especially with tamo's reaction on twitter now, this could be the seeds of a B.C. civil war, like many are thinking, but I think evil was put into B.C. out of necessity because of the travel ban. But now that Kenta and Jay are back, I feel like evil slash dick will soon be kicked out of B.C. and will get to start their own new faction. Thoughts? Yeah, I think that that those are all plausible theories. Yeah, I think, you know, we kind of heard some, you know, rumbling that, yeah, evil to Bullet Club was a part of, you know, Bull Club just kind of being weak at the time, you know, you look at what was left without Jay or Kenta. I mean, it was just Ishimori, Jado, Gato, Yujiro. Like, there, that wasn't, uh, you know, a strong unit. So they, they wanted to beef up Bull Club. So that, that makes sense. Also, we don't know if that's 100% the reason. We don't know if Evil would have joined or not if there was no pandemic. But that kind of makes sense on why they would do that. And I think we said at the beginning, like, we would have preferred Evil to kind of start his own stable and do something completely different than just kind of throwing him um, in the Bullet Club. The one um, comment he made was about Tamatunga's reaction. The only thing I can see is like he put like a gif, like a it's I don't know how to describe it. It's the one with the white dude, and he's like blinking a lot and like like in disbelief. Yeah, kind of like confused, uh, like I can't believe he kind of did that kind of look. Yeah. Uh, so he responded to that to uh, somebody posting Kenta throws up the two sweet, but evil only two sweet stick Togo. So, so you know, obviously. I think Tamatonga is on the same side as Kenta this current time. Who knows? Um, so, yeah. Any That's other? pretty much it. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't have much more, like, uh, insight into this thing. I mean, is there anything else you can add? I don't know. No, that, that's pretty much it. I mean, like I said, it was, we're going to kind of have to wait and see how, how Jay White and some of the other Bull Club members kind of react in the interaction with Evil. I think it's going to be really interesting to see on the final night, depending on who gets to the finals, maybe you do some kind of Bullet Club multi-man where those guys are on the same team if they're not in the finals and seeing, and that might kind of kick something off there. Well, uh, next up, we've got Kenta. We've discussed both of his uh, 
performances against Zack Sabre Jr. and uh, Evil, but he stands with four points, two and two. Um, any thoughts overall on Kenta um, as far as his standing and also kind of projections for the rest of the tournament? So as far as like standings, I think he's kind of right there, um, kind of where we expected to be, you know, close to the top here, coming in with that um, IWGP U.S. title shot, that number one contendership briefcase kind of puts him at the top spot and kind of a target. And so I think they've been trying to keep him strong. Obviously, there's going to be probably certain people that want him to defend that against, like Juice, who got a win over him. But I don't think he's going to be eating too many more losses, considering he is facing Naito on the last night. I think he's either going to be, I think he's going to be alive, or he could just potentially be a spoiler for Naito that night. Um, That's kind of what I'm wondering about. Like, I'm wondering, is he going to be alive going into the final night? Um, you know, because we got five, okay, before we get to that night, we've got four more nights. If he takes two losses of those four, then he's pretty much out. If he takes three of those matches and eats one, then he'll probably be alive going into the final night. And I'm just not sure which I see as being the more plausible scenario you know is he gonna just strictly be playing spoiler to naito going into the finals or do we think that he will be one of the guys that you know could actually be a finalist or even win the block you know uh outside contender um he's one of the big question marks i have at this point in the tournament yeah i think that the real thing that's kind of throwing a wrench into this is the the, the red briefcase like i feel like there would be a maybe a better chance of him winning the block if he wasn't um, coming in as the number one contender for the U.S. championship. Yeah. One other thing, um, that loss to Evil is a very big loss. You know, uh, when you lose to certain guys that you know are going to place well at the end of the tournament, it's a detriment to you if you end up tying them. So uh, the fact that Evil holds the tiebreaker over Kenta, that also is another thing that tells me it's a good chance he's not going to be winning this thing. But um you know, the fact that he is facing Naito on the final night, still big question marks there, so. Yeah. But overall, I've been thinking he's had some good performances. Um, you know, hasn't really been too much in the spotlight, kind of having these kind of like 15-minute matches. Um, you know, mm-hmm. kind of most of his matches in that kind of three and a half, three point uh, seven five kind of range. But, you know, it's, it's been good. It's been way better than his strong work, I'll say that. Yeah, I uh, it's been it's been better than that, but in terms of like when I compare it to the work he did in last year's G one, I think it's a step down. Yeah, he's definitely not peaking as high as he did in last year's G one. And the thing is, he's he's wrestling clean for the most part in his matches yeah. like, like he did last year. So definitely kind of you know not trending like the same way he was trending last year. Well, let's talk about the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi tied with Kenta, four wins. Uh, I'm sorry, four points, two wins, two losses. Um, he defeated Juice Robinson on night six, and then he defeated Yoshihashi on night eight. So he went into uh, this week with zero points and kind of picked himself back up on the standings. Yeah, and so we, we talked about the Juice match already. We got to talk about this night eight banger with him and Yoshihashi. This match Freaking rule. This was awesome. Uh, we were yeah. talking about Yoshihashi coming out here, showing the fire, working really hard. He made the most of this opportunity to wrestle against Tanahashi here on this night. And these guys have had an awesome match, kind of great back and forward. 
Um, I think the story here with Tanahashi it kind of ex- spills over from the dangerous Tekken story of Tanahashi, you know, not being 100% on his A game. And when he does win, it's almost kind of like a fluke or a flash pin. So we saw that on night six with Juice Robinson. He kind of gets the flash victory roll up there on Juice. Uh, he didn't. He wasn't able to hit the high fly flow. And we saw, you know, the, the previous, um, you know, night two of Naito, he failed to hit the high fly flow combo to get the win here. So finally here on night eight, he's able to hit the the high fly flow crossbody, then the, the regular high fly flow to get the win over Yoshihashi, get back on some momentum and get back on the ball here. Yeah, great insight. I uh, tend to, because I break these uh, nights up, you know, so sporadically, I might watch them in a vacuum. I try to piece together these, you know, little narratives uh, to the best, uh, you know, my ability. But I hadn't actually picked up on that. But everything that you mentioned is completely there. So, yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, Tanahashi hasn't been hitting the high fly flows. Uh, and on this night, he was able to do that to put away Yoshihashi. I also thought it was great because Yoshihashi, who has never shown himself to be on the level of, say, you know, a Hiroshi Tanahashi, let's say, uh, took him to the limit, which also speaks to the standings of both guys. I mean, Yoshihashi kind of overachieving um, and coming close to winning, and then Tanahashi maybe in kayfabe sense underperforming to what you would expect from someone in his lofty status, you know, um, kind of see them descending and ascending at the same time. But uh, I thought this match was really, really good. Easily the match of the night on night eight. Uh, I know that there's some people that liked the main event, uh, the Sonata and uh, Naito match. I thought this succeeded that pretty easily in a fraction of the time. Um, really, 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 really enjoyed this match. Yeah, this, this is awesome. I would definitely say if you have not watched this one, if you're skipping Yoshihashi matches, you need to stop. You need to go out of your way. And watch this Tanahashi Yoshihashi match. Um, we did have a question here from Viking Pain. He says Hiroshi Tanahashi has to be in the conversation for being the goat, right? I've never seen anyone that can control a crowd like he can, especially one that can't cheer and get it hot. I think in a world where everyone wants to do cool spots in the ring, we forget the importance of the little nuances like facial expressions and storytelling. And Tanahashi's in an absolute master at doing that, even with his physical limitations. I'm starting to understand now why Uncle Dave has such a man crush on the ace. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much more to add to that. You completely pointed out a lot of the positives of Hiroshi Tanahashi. I think he's a GOAT contender. I've always said that. I think he's maybe the greatest pure storyteller uh, in the history of professional wrestling. And, uh, yeah, everything he says is true. Yeah, Tanahashi is just absolutely incredible. Uh, it's masterful at the little things and, and the storytelling. And even though his body might not be what it was once, it, what it once was in his younger days, but still performing great matches. You know, the, the other day you rolled off all those still, those still great matches that he's had in the last couple of years. Like still on top of his game. And so, yeah, he's the ace for a reason. Yeah, um, not much more to add there. Uh, I guess. Projection-wise, Tanahashi is on a collision course with Zack Sabre Jr. at the end of the tournament, and they are both slotted at the same point right now, kind of middle of the road. We kind of have a parity-based system. You've got like the three guys at the top, and then you've got Zack, Evil, Kenta, and Tanahashi all 
you know, second tier, but middle of the road here. And then the next few guys we're going to talk about are all tied at one and three. So you kind of, you know, after four nights, you kind of have a, a pretty good idea of where everybody is. But I feel like we're still going to see a lot of people shift. Um, you're going to see a lot of people who are at the top kind of come down. A lot of people at the bottom go up. So it makes me wonder about these people in the middle who kind of have a leg up over, say, the one and threes. I am wondering if Tanahashi, you know, where he ends. I think he will probably eat another pin or two before it's all said and done. Yeah. Well, if we're going to believe the ace, you know, he's a man of his word post match night eight, you know, he talked about being so happy on winning, getting two matches. And he says, you know, from here on out, he's going to win. Like he says, he's going to win this easily. So I I've got to take the ace by his word and think he's just going to rattle off, you know, some wins here. You know, um, I'm not anticipating this, but I mean, there was that talk of the story of, you know, what if him and uh, Abushi did meet in the final? Uh, I don't see that as being a likely scenario based on my projections. But, uh, you know, what if that would be the way that they ended their dangerous tecker story? They each beat a dangerous tecker to make it to the final that there could be something there. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. So uh, next up, we have Hiroki Goto at the you know close to the bottom of the block here with just two points, one win in three losses. We talked about the Naito match. We talked about the Saber match. Uh, we had a question for Viking Pain asking any news on Goto. Is he legitimately hurt? And we kind of talked about that already. We don't know. We haven't heard anything if the, the injury is legit or not. Um, thoughts on Goto? Um, I think Goto has been perfectly fine uh he's been adequate um no real like blow away matches um the naito match might be one of the better you know performances that he's had in the tournament so far but uh you know he does he he's not in he, typically he's in that monster b block with all the guys that are in the a block this year so he doesn't quite have the same cast of characters to work with um i, I really don't have much to say about goto i do think one in three means he's pretty much done at this point. Uh, you know, that's pretty much it. I think he's done. Um, one more loss. I mean, I can't see any see any chance. I think once you take four losses, you're pretty much mathematically done regardless. Yeah, once you get four losses, you're cooked. And I really don't see Goto rattling off five more wins here in this block. I, I think he'll, he'll get to maybe like a four and five record. Uh, and the block of eight points if he's if he's healthy and even can continue to compete. Um, but, yeah, I don't see him getting much higher than eight. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing is if he is hurt, what ends up happening if they have to kind of rework all the, the point structures, it wouldn't be the first time that's ever happened in a G1. It's happened before, so we'll kind of keep our eyes on that. Yeah, I guess the interesting um, thing though with him, at least he, it's somebody who's kind of already been kind of trending downward and probably wasn't going to win too many more matches, so maybe it won't mess things up too much, but who knows. That's true, but at the same time, those guys end up playing spoilers, so you end up having to shift quite a bit around once that happens. I'm glad it's not my job, because I, I don't <laughs> like to play with brackets like that, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, after that, we've got um, what I would say is arguably, and this is no cap. <laughs> I'm laughing, but it's not as a joke whatsoever. The MVP of the B block, Yoshi motherfucking Hashi. Well, hold on, hold on, sir. Put some respect on his name. One third 
of the never six man champions, Yoshi Hashi. Two points, one win, three losses. He was defeated by Sonata on night six, 15 minutes and 15 seconds, and then uh, defeated by Hiroshi Tanahashi, 18 minutes and 41 seconds. Uh, I know we got some questions here regarding uh, the Yoshihashi one. Yeah, so um, <laughs> from, from Reddit user PSA91, he says, What happened that we are all fans of Yoshihashi now? Where was this version of Yoshihashi who was having great matches been the past couple of years? Do you think he will get a reward for his efforts like how Lance Archer got his U.S. title run coming out of the G1 last year? I wouldn't mind a Yoshihashi never title run at this point. Well, um, it's hard to say like how this is being um, received by, say, management, especially in the environments that they're in with the audience. I don't know if it's really coming through to them for sure how over he seems to be with these performances. I hope that it is, but like it was easy to tell with Lance Archer because, I mean, the man just came across as a star. And I I don't think that Yoshihashi's performance, I wouldn't compare them to Lance Archer last year because Lance Archer last year was like monstrous, like how over he got. But um, it's not the worst comparison in the world. He's definitely showing us a side of himself that we've never really seen before in the past, hardly ever. Um, you know, we usually say he's good for like one or two good tournament performances and that's about it. And you know what? It's a long tournament. So he's still got time to screw it up, but so far, (laughs) (laughs) so far he's really, you know, delivering and, uh, it's quite shocking. Yeah. And, uh, night six, he got that big upset win over Sonata um, so he came into the you know the Tanahashi match with one point there and um, yeah just kind of a oh that's right I'm I'm sorry I said he was defeated by Sonata he got he lost or he beat Sonata uh, I just read it wrong because I'm used to Yoshihashi <laughs> losing yeah and you know last week you said if he beat either Sonata or Yoshihashi in New Japan or he beat Sonata or Tanahashi that New Japan's done yeah it is done <laughs> <laughs> wrapping up this show <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, um, yeah, man, uh, here's the thing with us. We've buried Yoshihashi for years, and um, I'm a pretty pliable person. Like, if um, someone gets over, then they're going to get over, and I'm not going to, like, deny it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, I'm not going to have blind hatred towards Yoshihashi. Like, if this is the kind of performance we're going to keep getting out of the man going forward, I'll, I'll jump on the Yoshihashi train, like... Do I think he still needs to work on certain aspects of his character and his moveset? Like, sure, but, like, fuck it. If he's going to be, like, a, a a great wrestler going forward, then, you know, I'll be a fan of Yoshihashi. I don't care. Like, he's been pretty much the highlight of the B block, and one of the only things that's been making a lot of these shows, like, bearable. Yeah. Uh, so we also had a question from Viking Payne. It says, 2020 has been an absolute wild year. COVID, impeachment, riots, wildfires. Murder Hornets and Yoshihashi getting over with me. Seriously, I look at the upcoming G1 schedule and say that Yoshihashi match looks good. So what I'm trying to say is the bag of socks have become a bag of Nike socks. So what are you guys <laughs> waiting for? Time to jump on the Yoshihashi train, boys. The wild ride ain't ending anytime soon. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I'm actually waiting for like the Yoshihashi fanboys to jump in and be like, see, I told you he's always been good. <laughs> 
And then I'm going to be like, nah, he just got good. It just started. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not kid ourselves. But uh, yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with all that. Yeah, man, Yoshihashi just looking great so far. Also, you know, points-wise, not doing so well. But performance-wise, he's um, doing really well. And he's another guy, I'll say, I don't see him rattling off five more wins to get to six and three and get 12 points and be a top Oh, no, lock. he's done. Yeah, he's probably, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say maybe six max for him. For yeah, he's done, in the, he's done in the block. Yeah, like two um, more but... wins and he's done. Uh, the one thing I do got to wonder about, so he's fought Sonata, he's fought um, Tanahashi, he hasn't fought Kenta yet, right? No, I don't think so. And um, so he's still got Kenta, Zack Sabre Jr., Yano, Naito, like he's still got a lot of guys. And I think he's gone through some of the better opponents already, like Tanahashi, Sonata, you know, some of the better guys... Uh, in the block already so juice it kind of remains to be seen like how good the rest of the tournament will end up being for him um if there's any match in the tournament that he hasn't had yet what's something that you're looking forward to let's see kind of looking here at the schedule um i think the naito match on night 10 october 6th could be really good semi main event there. Uh, I think that's the easy answer for me. I mean, it's going to be semi main event. It's going to get a lot of time. Uh, Naito will have already. I think Naito will probably beat him and and end his run in the tournament. I'm guessing probably. But um, yeah, of everyone else that's left, I think that Naito match is the the one that I would circle for the Yoshihashi fanboys. Yeah, I mean the Goto match could be good if Goto. You know, comp- you know, competes at a top or you know, a better level he's been competing at, and it's not you know. Bro, he, he's going to beat that bum Goto. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> I don't have much more to say about Yoshiashi. I mean, we praised him. He's he's doing great. Yeah. So then, uh, also at the bottom of the block here, tied with Yoshihashi and Goto is Sonata with two points, one win, and three losses. So we talked about his match with Yoshihashi that he lost on night six. 15 minutes and 15 seconds, and then we also talked about his uh, main event win on night eight over Tetsuya Naito, 27 minutes and 8 seconds. Sonata is in the bottom part of the block going forward. I think legitimately he's going to win the next four matches going into the finals. Yeah. They, They love to tell stories where someone is behind and they roar back to, you know, kind of win the block or at least stand a chance to do so. They did that with Naito last year. Also the Sonata win over Naito's very reminiscent of the match he had with uh, Okada last year where Okada was the champion undefeated. Sonata defeated him in a lengthy main event where he was kind of down in the tournament. Very similar story here between Sonata and Naito. Um, how do we feel about glam rock Sonata? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm digging the gear. I like the new gear. Um, I like the hair. I, I like his presentation. The thing that's really kind of throwing me off of him is just the in-ring performance. I don't feel like he's you know competed at a top level and has just kind of been mid so far. I think the main thing that's hurting is he hasn't debuted new music to go along with his glam rock apparel. Like, he definitely should be coming out to, like, 
some Ziggy Stardust or like Roxy Music or or like some like New York Doll something like that. Like this guy completely looks like 1970s glam rock at this point. So, <laughs> so you're saying he needs to commit to the gimmick. He needs to commit to his gimmick. I mean, you know, it's all about the gimmick. But um, yeah, I haven't really been blown away with any of his matches, but that's the story they're telling. I'm sure there's some people listening who are like, guys, you don't get it. It's a story. No, we get it. A block's the story block, and uh, that's the story they're telling with Sonata. I just don't know that I personally will ever completely buy into him as a top guy, but that's fine. From what I hear and understand, the Japanese audience, he's like a top five guy in yeah. terms of popularity. So maybe they're going to try and capitalize on it. I don't know. Yeah, and got great reactions to the, you know, his, um, his post-match promo thing where he asked the fans to put their phone lights up. They turn the lights down, and he says, you know, this is my favorite. That was cool. My favorite city that I always, you know, my favorite city in Japan. Kind of he's been doing that. Um, did it last year in some of the main events that he won. And so I uh, saw some people, some girls crying. So obviously a lot of people are into Sonata and you know, the commentary. They're putting it over, you know, oh, what a great moment. What a great gift that Sonata has given these fans here. So um, definitely feels like, like you mentioned, like Japanese audience and management's kind of behind Sonata and kind of see that and definitely see him, you know, getting five more wins, winning his next five matches, going into that last night with 10 points and then potentially winning to get 12 and go to the finals. Well, by the time we do this show next week, there will be three more B block nights. Uh, I'm telling you right now that this man is going to come into next week's show four and three. I would agree with you. So um, that's what we have to look forward uh, there. So, yep. Uh, I'm pretty much on B block. You got anything else? No, that's pretty much it. So? Cool. Let's uh, let's talk about the superstar block, A block. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the A block, where we have quite a few people here tied on top of the block with six points, three wins, and first losses, a uh, one loss. Uh, so the first guy we'll talk about here, Switchblade J White. Actually, we can probably talk about the top two guys since they face each other. We have J White, Will Osprey, six points, three wins, one, one loss. They faced each other on night seven. Yeah. So uh, they went into this match. Jay White was undefeated, three and zero. Will Ospreay was two and one, um, having just recently uh, earned his first defeat against Shingo Takagi. And um, you know, there's been some history between these two guys. Uh, they wrestled previously in ROH when Jay White on pay per view when Jay White was uh, on his excursion. They had another singles match. Um, was it last year at the anniversary show? Yeah, last year. Yeah, last year because before it was before MSG. So yeah, Jay was still a champion, and uh, Osprey was coming in. Was he junior champion or just a junior? He was a junior champion, and so uh, you know, former Chaos teammate, stablemates. Uh, you know, they faced off multiple occasions. Now that Will Osprey is in the heavyweight division, that kind of fictionary it's sort of like a make-believe but it's also all at the same time a very real distinction as being the top gaijin in new japan uh that's kind of being challenged uh you know jay white ever since kenny omega's left has kind of fulfilled that role as being like the top gaijin in the company and now that will osprey has like graduated to the heavyweight division and is putting on all these you know incredible performances uh, there's sort of an internal rivalry between these two, not just you know, on screen, but also professionally speaking, and they're really tapping into that quite a bit. Um, 
But I like this match a lot. I mean, what do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, I saw a lot of mixed reactions to this match. I, I thought it was great. I liked this match a lot. Uh, I was definitely in the four-star range. And, you know, these guys have kind of been, you know, barbing at each other promo-wise leading into this match. And it's kind of like you mentioned, kind of this, you know, this rivalry there for kind of who's the top guys in and kind of a lot riding on this match with both guys kind of on, t- you know, close to the top of the block, especially Jay coming in undefeated here. Uh, I thought that's a good story. You know, obviously there's a lot of emphasis on Will Ospreay as a heavyweight. If you listen to the Japanese commentary, they're always mentioning heavy Q Osprey, heavy Q Osprey. And so there's a lot of emphasis on him being a heavyweight. And I think in this match, we've seen when it comes to the striking, how guys have sold his striking. And here at the beginning of the match, we saw Jay, you know, kind of getting Osprey in the corner, kind of striking with him. And then Osprey just kind of firing back one big chop that sends Jay immediately to the floor and kind of cowering into the corner and, and kind of demonstrating the, you know, this, this new power of Will Ospreay. Um, and then obviously throughout the match, Jay is trying to be manipulative, using Gato and trying to somehow get the advantage. He starts working over um, one of Will's legs at one point to try and slow him down. Um, but eventually he just couldn't keep um, Will slowed down. Eventually, you know, Will roared back, hit him with the, the hidden blade and the Stormbreaker and was able to defeat Jay White. Yeah, Jay used a lot of his wily tricks to avoid both the hidden blade and the Stormbreaker multiple occasions, but ultimately will prove that he had his number and uh, uh, you know got the big win there. Uh, one thing I like about it is we're talking about the fact that they're they're sort of battling for supremacy as you know that top Gaijin spot. What's great about it is neither one of them are actually coming on camera and saying I'm the top Gaijin. You know, if this was WWE, they'd totally be playing into that whole thing. You know, like in the past, they've had guys talk about how they're the real lo- you know locker room leader. Right now, they've got like Roman Reigns talking about how he's the chief. The tribal chief. <laughs> the tribal chief of his family. And it's like there's no nuance to it. But with these two guys, it's like they only very slightly allude to the idea that insider fans kind of know what they're discussing. But you don't have to look at it from that aspect. I mean the reality is Jay White has been a heavyweight on top for a long time and Will's coming for his spot. You know, it's it, it's good storytelling. Uh, there's going to be more matches between these two down the road. I don't think they've ever had a bad match. Uh, I wouldn't say this match was a classic, but I thought it was a really solid match. Really great. Um, and uh, I would like to see Jay White and Will Ospreay work together more. I think both of them have a lot that they can teach one another and uh, kind of grow the, you know, the heavyweight division. I mean, you got to face it. Some of the things that we've been – kind of discussing with an aging roster with a lot of matches that have been overplayed. We've seen time and time and time again, that's all true. But then you've got these two guys who are both relatively young, um, relatively healthy, injury free. And, uh, you know, both at the top of their game right now, they are the future of new Japan right now. Definitely. Um, and we had a question here from Maserati saying, am I overthinking it or is Osprey showing signs of turning heel? He's a little bit more vicious than normal. It, it could be true. Uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm buying into that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he somehow did turn heel. I don't see a spot open anywhere where they could really plug him in right now into that role. Um, but I could, maybe my eyes are closed. Maybe I'm, I, I think it's just what I mentioned last week is just I think Osprey is a little charmless. <laughs> yeah, I mean his 
backstage promos have been unbearable. Uh, the one thing that he did mention that kind of makes me lean to uh, is a, a heel turn coming. He mentioned, you know, Jay's like, you know, Jay, you have a manager. That's a good call. Maybe I should look into something like that. Oh, one thing he okay, we got to talk about it. So the, the I mentioned Billy earlier in the show <laughs> how he is just the worst. I, I praised him about his promo against Jay White last week, but then post match. He gave one of the most atrocious promos I've ever heard, and he's like, I am Billy the Goat. Hear me roar. Hey. And then he went, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was awful. The, fa- the face he made was the stuff of nightmares. I, I swear to God I'm going to have, like, a nightmare where, like, I, I, like, wake up in the middle of the dream and – Will Osprey is standing above my bed going like, oh, and then like his mouth just expands into an open <laughs> gape abyss of despair and I get sucked into it like, oh, my God, it's horrifying, bro. Now, uh, we don't have this um, as a question here, but I've seen a lot of people online saying that Will is trying to, you know, be a, a Kenny Omega knockoff and his promos have a very similar cadence to Kenny Omega during his kind of um, heel cleaner run. Have you noticed any kind of comparisons to Osprey's promos and Kenny Omega's? Yeah, absolutely. I 100%. I don't think he's specifically emulating Kenny per se, but I think he's borrowing from some of Kenny Omega's, you know, uh, cadences and, you know, the, the style of promo that he did. I think that's completely apt. I think it's there for sure. Yeah, it's definitely very kind of cleaner-esque, especially, you know, before he kind of became like the best bout machine. I feel like Kenny would kind of have some kind of goofy kind of promos. I am Kenny Omega, (laughs) the cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Will Ospreay, I I don't know. Maybe he should, like, call up Eddie Kingston and figure out how to cut promo. I don't know. Yeah, I learned to cut a promo on a cookie on some Sour Patch Kids. I mean, Eddie's just a promo master. But, I mean, I'll take uh, Billy the Goat over Sex Pig any day, so. I I guess that's an improvement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about uh, the next guy on the list, Lord Tai Chi, tied with Will Ospreay and Jay White. Six points, yeah, six points, three wins, one loss. Uh, Night seven, he was defeated by... Kazushiko Kata, 17 minutes, three seconds. Yeah, I thought this was um, a pretty good match. Uh, not great. I mean, I think overall Taichi has been looking good in this tournament, having some good performances. I was more impressed with Taichi in this match than I was Okada. And I'll say, I guess that's... Bro, stop what you just said. Think about, think about, the, like, think about what you just said. You were more impressed with Taichi in this match then Kazushika Okada. What the fuck is... Ha, bro, only in 2020 could you say something like that. Right. I know it, it seems like a wild statement, but also, you know, based on Okada's output and whatever kind of story they're telling with him, obviously he's not, you know, competing on that top level. And I just feel like, you know, Taichi, in this whole tournament, has been doing pretty good. And obviously Taichi kind of being very sleazy here, um, kind of trying to bait... Okada into using the Rainmaker. He ended up using a Rainmaker himself um, towards the closing stretch of this match. Uh, I thought he looked really good here. Yeah, Tai Chi rules. Um, last year, when it's funny because G1 tends to attract a lot of like um, 
casual fans. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, so please don't take it wrong when I say that. But it's it is the truth. You know, certain fans who aren't going to waste their time watching Road Two shows or C list, you know, level shows, they're obviously going to be attracted to the G1. It's one of the you know, it's nothing but singles matches between the top stars. Things you you don't see throughout the year. It's very exciting. But at the same time, a lot of those fans will come in with misconceptions about some of the wrestlers. And when Taichi got into the G1 last year, people were having a fit. When in reality, he should have been in the G1 the year before. Remember, he got snubbed. Yeah, it was he, a big story. Yeah, he's making people a, were ups- Yeah, he's making a campaign for it, and then he got they didn't pick him. Yeah, they didn't pick him to be in it the year before, and uh, a lot of people were, you know, some there there was like this thing where a lot of fans didn't like that and everyone was like oh that's a very vocal minority but then the next year he got in and he'd made so many strides performance wise that like casual fans were like i can't believe tai chi's in b block and we were like he's probably gonna do pretty good and people were like what and i remember like i even suggested that he might beat john moxley which now does sound crazy because of how hot and like how pushed John Moxley ended up being. But at the time I was like in the context of a G one, why not just have Tai Chi roll him up one night? You know, it, it could happen. It didn't right. happen, but, um, Tai Chi has improved so much over the past two years that now it would literally seem criminal to not include him in the tournament. And, um, I'm not going to overstretch and say he's a standout guy in the a block because that's impossible with how stacked it is. But if I compared him to most of the performers in the B block, I would say he's a standout guy. Yeah, and two things I really love in Tai Chi matches, I, I love the, the dangerous backdrop. I just think that, that back sweep just looks incredible. I agreed. Um, and I also love the Gato Clutch because it's one of these moves where he does pick up wins with sometime. It's a great near-fall spot. Yeah, I mean... Tai Chi is not everybody's cup of tea, but there's a lot of things that are there. I mean, um, I don't know. There's just, there's a lot. Okay. If, if we're going to talk about it for a second, I mean, he's got the entrance, which is campy, but it's a character. And so for some people, they can really invest in that. Like you don't always, know, when you first see someone like say Jeff Cobb, you don't know who he is, what he is, why he is. You look at Tai Chi, you know exactly what the deal with this guy is. He's this weird costumed cosplaying opera singer who's not who's you know not actually singing like it's hilarious and then um you know if you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes insomnia brain fog moodiness or weight gain you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging the experts at midi health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause and midi can help with safe effective fda approved solutions covered by insurance 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. He's got other shtick, you know, the outside brawling, you know, using the edge of the hammer instead of the actual mallet part of the hammer to hit people with. Um, He's he's a dick. His terrible hair, um, ripping off of the pants, like... (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, at the same time, he'll get in the ring and have these incredible sequences at the end of matches that are super exciting with all the near falls and, you know, all the, um, you know, wrestling acumen and the big, you know, cyto suplexes and the quad kicks and the mid kicks and the chops and the forms, the elbows. And like, he really mixes it up. And so he's proven himself to be quite a versatile, 
competitor. I think the one thing is Tai Chi hasn't really had any um, main events through seven nights of the tournament. So we haven't seen him like have any true classics, but I think part of that is he hasn't had a lot of opportunity. But if you want my honest opinion, I'm rank I'm ranking his performance in the tournament higher than someone like say Jeff Cobb or Yujiro uh, at this point, which is pretty shocking. Yeah, definitely. And um, two other things to note about this match. Um, so at one point during the match, so Ellis Barato was on commentary uh, throughout this match, and Taichi did use a Desperado distraction at one point in the match to um, hit Okada in the back and his injured back of a chair. And also, I thought it was very interesting. So um, Okada does get the money clip on him here at the end, but instead of just tapping out, he uh, passed out. There was a ref stoppage. I didn't notice that. I, I just assumed he passed or he tapped out i guess i overlooked that aspect of it yeah i just thought it was very interesting you know you think oh it's, it's tai chi he could easily you know just tap to okada but i think there's something hmm. there with him kind of getting that ref stoppage well uh they had him beat suzuki he's been looking strong in the tournament so you might be onto something there but uh yeah really good um let's move on to the golden star kota bushi uh also tied with six points three wins one loss he defeated jeff cobb 10 minutes and 43 seconds on night seven. Yeah, I thought uh, Abushi here gave Cobb one of his best matches uh, in the tournament thus far. Just kind of an interesting dynamic of, you know, Cobb kind of just being this kind of big bruiser and Abushi kind of having to use his speed and striking um, ability to kind of outstrike Cobb and to kind of knock him out that way. Um, I don't have a lot to add here. I mean, Kotobushi gave, like Jeremy mentioned, the best match of Jeff Cobb's uh, G1 so far this year. Um, but it was sort of just, you know, it was an opener match. Uh, Kotobushi got the job done, and he's looking very strong. And uh, I suspect he'll be very high in the point totals once it's all said and done. Yeah, Cobb did have a cool spot in this match where um, I think Abushi was like, kind of coming off from the apron, from the turnbuckle, and he caught him and then spinned him out into like a back sweep, that kind of thing. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I liked that spot. He does that in matches for sure, but uh, with the speed and you know athleticism of both guys, it, it really came off well here. Yeah. So uh, Abushi towards the end here, he fought out the tour of the islands. He hit a high kick, then a V trigger, and then the Kamagoye to get the win here. The only thing I will say, there was a point where Jeff Cobb almost got a tour of the islands, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but that was about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, Bushi at the top of the block here of, you know, White, Osprey, Tai Chi. Clearly a guy that's going to be, you know, being last year's G1 uh, champion. A guy that is going to continue to do pretty well in this tournament. Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, again, just talking point, the fact that Abushi is facing Tai Chi on the final night is a big indicator that neither guy is winning this thing, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I don't, I don't see Tai Chi being alive i mean obviously right now he's tied with abushi but i feel like he's going to eat some losses by the time we come back next week and abushi will be higher up than taichi i think taichi's going to be a spoiler that night also the idea abushi going back to back to back in a g1 would be in, in a g1 final would be unheard of so um you want to talk about murder grandpa minoru suzuki Yes, Minoru Suzuki also tied up there with Ibushi, Taichi, Osprey, and Jay White. Six uh, six points, three wins, and one loss. On night seven, he defeated Yuro Takahashi, seven minutes, 53 seconds. Uh, short and sweet. 
as it needed to be, which is very good. Um, Suzuki is having points kayfabe-wise, one of the better G1 runs he's had in a, quite a while. He wasn't even in the G1 last year. Um, and people are going to disagree and be upset about this, but I think it's something that you told me, and I would agree with you. I thought Suzuki gave Ujiro Takahashi easily his best match of the tournament. Oh, yeah, definitely. This was a short, compact match. and It's one of these, like, Ujiro kind of came out with some fire here and was kind of, like, challenging Suzuki yep. and kind of almost wrestling Suzuki's style of match. So definitely, this has been this is definitely easily Ujiro's best match of the whole tournament. Probably his best match uh, since they've came back from the pandemic. Yeah, and I mean, again, how great of a match can you have in seven minutes? You know, it's not anything I would be like, oh, you got to see it, check it out. But wildly entertaining, hard hitting, and uh, you know, what better way for Ujiro? We talk about Ujiro like, like showing an effort. Well, what better way for him to show an effort than to? Uh, Eat those elbows and eat that gotch. Go to sleep. One, two, three. Nice. Yeah, Suzuki was wrecking this man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I mean, these because we only had one night here. I don't have a lot of insight, but um, you know, that's where Suzuki is. I think it's gonna get interesting as we uh, talk about the next few people here, though. Yeah. So next up, we got the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada, who's uh, with four points, two wins and two losses, like we mentioned. He defeated Tai Chi on night seven, 17 minutes and three seconds. I'll agree with you. I don't think I thought I was more impressed with Tai Chi in this match than Okada. Um, one thing about the match, and I got to say this. This match wasn't very good. Um, and maybe part of it is on Tai Chi as well as Okada, because Okada has been selling a back, a lower back injury. And they completely just exploited that the entire match. It was like the the big story here. And that is something with Tai Chi in his previous encounters with Okada. There's always some sort of injury that's at play that they really harp on. And Okada works from the bottom. Tai Chi works on top. And sometimes the dynamic works. Sometimes it doesn't. Here, I definitely didn't think it did. But um, I don't know what's going on with Okada. We... We've speculated about it for weeks now, but um, I'm just I'm not feeling it. I'm not a fan of it. And uh, you can take that storytelling bullshit to, you know, the B block. This is the A block. (laughs) Well, I think the interesting, I guess, story point here in this matchup would be after a short arm clothesline for the first time in a long time. Okada maintained wrist control and he was actually. Oh, oh, risk control. (laughs) What a story. (laughs) He was actually going to hit the Rainmaker, but then Taichi put the official in front of him and blocked that led into the Gato clutch near fall. So for the first time in a long time, we actually saw Okada attempting the Rainmaker. Yeah, I, I noticed that. And I was kind of wondering, like, why, why did he need to use it against Tai Chi? Like, you know, was Tai Chi just like pissing him off? So he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm just going to do this. Like, I, I don't know, man. I, I'm not feeling the story. And uh, like, this is easily Okada's worst G1. Yeah, not not just from a point standpoint, but uh, just in general. <laughs> yeah, from a, a match standpoint, from a story standpoint, from a presentation standpoint. Yeah, it's weird. It's like I think something strange happened in Chaos, where like I don't know, Okada and crew like upset some sort of. They probably went to like some sort of shrine and like angered some like vengeful spirits and they like put a curse and they've been slowly sucking the talent out of Okada and transfusing it into Yoshihashi. 
That's the only explanation for both of these guys' performances that makes sense to me. The only thing. Oh, man. Yoshihashi on his way to becoming the ace of the company. (laughs) (laughs) It would all make sense. They came back from excursion at the same time. This was bound to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, I got nothing else on Okada. Not not that. I've I've got nothing else on Okada. I don't even want to really talk. Unless Okada does some cool shit. I don't even want to talk about him again. Yeah. Well, Done with him. Hopefully Done with this, him. this week he, he picks it up a little bit here. Well, he's going to. He's got four points. And Okada's got Osprey in the final night. So how many more nights do they? They've got five more, basically. Yeah. Do you think Okada eats another pinfall before the final night um, in the next four matches? Or you think he's you know going 4-0? I could I put him at twelve points. I could potentially see him eating one loss on the stre- that stretch there. Okay. Who do you think it's against? Do you think it's Shingo? Because he hasn't fought Shingo yet. Yeah, it could it could be Shingo. Um or Suzuki. Yeah, he's facing Suzuki on uh Monday. I mean, there is Ishii who could play spoiler, but I don't know if I see Ishii doing that. Yeah, I mean, he's facing Cobb on night 11. I don't think Cobb's going to beat him. Uh, Yeah, so that's the interesting thing here. I mean, we might be seeing Okada run through Suzuki, Shingo, Ishii, and Cobb over the next four nights. Yeah. so I mean that's that's the that's the only real interesting aspect here is like what the point spread's going to look like when it's all said and done because he's definitely going to be in contention when you know on the final night so you know we're we're looking at those guys all suffering defeats come the hands of the rainmaker and they're probably going to be tapping out to that money clip yeah unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean one last thing I guess since. It did come up. You you mentioned the Rainmaker. Do you think that there's they that they should have him start reintroducing the Rainmaker during this time, or is that something that they should save for like a block final or for the G one final? I mean, I, or is it going to stretch out even further beyond this tournament? I'm I'm hoping it doesn't stretch out further than this tournament. I mean, it's definitely a possibility. Um, I think at this point they've kind of committed to this money clip for the whole tournament. So at this point, I think he, he continues using it through the whole tournament. And then once he gets to the block finals or maybe even the final, that's when he kind of busts out the Rainmaker. Well, he almost blew his wad on Tai Chi. So. <laughs> yeah. And maybe this it's one of these things where he has the injured back. He's realizing it's a lot harder to get people in the money clip and to get that submission. He's exerting more energy and it might be just easier if he does the Rainmaker and maybe he can, he has that, you know, epiphany towards the end of the tournament and that's what leads to the return of the Rainmaker clothesline. Great. Well, let's talk next about the Dragon, Shingo Takagi. One win, three losses, two points. And, uh, yeah, I did not expect Shingo to be at one and three at this point in the tournament. Yeah, I did not expect that either. Uh, obviously, Shingo, since being elevated to heavyweight, has you know been getting pushed very decently. He's picked up a lot of you know big singles win, 
uh, had the, the never title run um, this year before he lost to Suzuki at Jingu. Um, he's a guy that reviewers, podcasters, analysts alike all see uh, top star potential in. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, he's kind of starting off very slow here in this tournament. Well, he went into this uh, match one and two. Uh, he had recently defeated Will Ospreay, and it was a main event uh, against Tomohiro Ishii, which I think we could talk about Tomohiro Ishii too, since he's next up on the list. So uh, Ishii came into the match un- uh, with no wins, three losses. So very interesting because they decided to main event Shingo and Ishii, where the reality is both guys in terms of points are on the lower spectrum of, of the, the point totals. But because of the previous war- wars that these two have had against one another, I think that it was something that the Corkin crowd definitely, you know, would call for. And um, these guys delivered 26 minutes, one second. Tomohiro Ishii picks up a win, keeps him alive. And these guys are now tied up one and three, which is not a good prospect for either one of them. Because we've talked about it before, once you hit four losses, you're pretty much out of the tournament. And, um, you know, they, they, they both have, like, huge odds against them uh you know as far as the points go yeah they're gonna have to be in desperation mode here pretty much literally every they have to pretty much wrestle like every match is their last match because neither of them can afford like you mentioned to take one more loss and get to four losses and they still have some uh big opponents in front of them like we mentioned you know Shingo has Okada coming up and there's still some top guys in this block that they're gonna have to face and so things are not really in their favor for either of them finishing towards the top of the block or making it to the finals. So I think we kind of could have estimated Ishii being at this point for sure. But with Shingo, it's a little surprise. I think it's a, a lot more surprising um, just how dominant he's looked all year, as you mentioned. Um, but again, I think I, I've been postulating the theory that he was going to go on a little bit of a downward run and then kind of turn around and start racking up points going into the final night and then get stopped by Suzuki on the final uh, evening when he might hypothetically be alive. Do you think that that is a possibility still? Or when you look at the kind of field of competitors he has, Kota Bushi, Okada, you know, Suzuki, is that something that could still happen? Uh, I think it could it could still happen, but that that just means that they're putting a lot on Shingo and they're planning to do big things with him after this tournament. Um, for me, I feel like it's probably with Suzuki kind of trending upward. I feel like it might be more likely that Shingo spoils Suzuki on the last night, which also sets up him getting a never title rematch, potentially a power struggle. Yeah, you know, I wasn't thinking that that was the case, but I mean. That's not bad booking if you think of it that way. I mean, you've got a, a strong champion who's on his way to winning the tournament, and then Shingo upsets him, and that kind of becomes the catalyst for them to need to fight one one another once again. Um, you're probably right. Shingo probably will play spoiler to Suzuki on the final evening. Um, I just kind of saw it the opposite way, even though, even though it, it doesn't make as much sense if you think about it. Shingo being higher in the points total and Suzuki upsetting him. Normally that wouldn't qualify someone to get an automatic title shot, but because it's my thinking was because it's Shingo, because he's a former champion because of the feud, 
that they could like just play off the animosity of the whole situation, similar to like the Liger Suzuki feud from last year, you know? Right. And it'd be one of those things where like Suzuki's just the monkey on Jingle's back. He just can't get off of, and he's he's desperate to beat him. And so he, he appeals and kind of have weeks of buildup where he's attacking him post match and in matches and kind of have this bill where he kind of forces Suzuki's hand to give him one more match. That's exactly the scenario I wasn't, you know, envisioning. In fact, it could have even been like Suzuki denying him title shots. And then Shingo puts something on the line, you know, uh, to try and entice Suzuki to actually give him one last shot at, say, Wrestle Kingdom. So, but um, I don't think that's happening now. I think we are going to, I think based on where they're at, it's such a, if this was the B block, I would say maybe Shingo could come back similar to like Sonata. But I mean, with um, with the names that he still has yet to face and the defeats he's already received, it's going to I mean, it's so unlikely that he's going to be a factor on the final night. I don't I don't know if he even will. Do you think that that's a mistake what they've been doing with him or um, I mean, what what are you thinking? I know some people are surprised by this. I mean, personally, for, for my preference, I, I think it's a mistake. I see total star potential in Shingo. I think he can be a dome inventor. I think he could be IWGP champion. But if you look at it, I think in the company's eyes, he is um, a little bit older. He's not a dojo guy. and He's an outsider. He's an outsider. And honestly, I, I think they see him kind of on that never level, and he might not, he might be almost like an Ishii to them. It might be a guy that doesn't really elevate um, past that level. And they see him as an incredible guy that they can stick in there with people and have great matches. He can main event Cork and Hall. He can be never champion. But I don't know if they see him in the same light of a Kota Ibushi, a Will Ospreay, Kazuchika Okada, where they want him towards the top of the block and plan to do stuff with him in, in big main events. So, so far he's wrestled Cobb, Jay White, Will Ospreay and Ishii, those are his four matches, right? Yes. So we still got Taichi, Ibushi, Suzuki, Okada, and Yujiro. Um, I see most of those as being winnable matches, but I think the big question mark is maybe say, I mean, Suzuki's the final night, but those four in between, I think the Okada and the Ibushi are the big question marks for me. Yeah, those are definitely like, I guess depending on how the other matches go for Bushi and Okada, points wise, if he he'll get a win there. But yeah, I don't know if he's going to. I can see maybe beating one of those guys, but both of them would be pretty big. Tall order, tall order. But um, let's talk about Ishii. Um, I don't have as many interesting things to say as far as trajectories go because with him being at one and three, I think he's done at this point in the tournament. I think one more loss, you know, I think he's purely playing spoiler going forward. And um, I mean, the champions that were in this block were pretty much Suzuki at the net, you know, with the never title and he already lost to him. So, I mean, he's not even really playing for title opportunities either. Right. He already lost to Osprey. Who's a rev pro champion. Yep. So, I mean, at this point it's just big match. Tomohiro Ishii giving guys some of their best matches in the tournament. Um, but, you know, as far as standings go, I mean, he's pretty much done. Yeah. 
Um, he did. He did get the win over Shingo. I'm, I'm a little disappointed we didn't get a, a post match, you know, closing show promo from him in the middle of the ring. I was hoping he would, you know, tell the Corkin crowd how much he likes smashing, like he told us in uh, <laughs> Dallas last year during the G1. Trying to smash <laughs> <laughs> during the G1 uh, press conference in Dallas that we were at last summer. Um, but yeah, gets a big win there. And you know, post match, he he did a backstage promo, just talking about you know, pretty much just saying he's gonna you know keep on fighting and you know fighting hard. Uh, he's not gonna stop. Um, now, before we before, I was gonna say, I think you're gonna say the same thing as me. I was gonna say before we move on, we gotta talk about the match, real right? Quick. That's what I'm gonna say. What are your thoughts on the match? Because I've seen a lot of people online kind of being like, you know, it, it was another Shingo Ishii match. It's kind of like eating too much steak. You know, it, it was you know. Sure, it was good, but it's the same old kind of match that we've seen over and over again. And I've seen a lot of people kind of down on this match. So what are your thoughts? Oh, no. Not another great banger in the middle of a pandemic. Oh, God. Give me some more evil Kenta, you know? Give me (laughs) something that's new and fresh and a change. I don't want the great wrestling match that's been blowing my mind every single time they do it. Oh, no. (laughs) I, I think people who are talking like that are just crybabies, to be honest with you. And I'm sorry to say it that way, but it's like, um, you know, like, how can you complain about this? What is there to complain about? There is literally nothing to complain about. The only real complaint that you might have is the Ishii and Shingo matchup has downtrended in terms of quality. But I don't even know if that's completely their fault. I think part of it was the environment that they they fought in in Cork. That Cork and crowd wasn't great, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and they can't cheer. But um, I mean, I don't know. That's definitely in the what top ten matches of the tournament. Yeah, easily. I, I love this matchup. Yeah, the one thing that hurt the match was the crowd. Um, obviously not being as energetic as say like the Osaka crowds. Beside that, still incredible match. These guys, the forearms, the chops, the lariats, the headbutts, uh, you know, the, the the back suplexes, like the typical Shingo Ishii never style match. Um, it was awesome. And, you know, Ishii just fighting back and working for that vertical drop brain buster. Yeah, and it was a surprise. I mean, in a sense, it wasn't totally a surprise that Ishii won because, you know, it was life and death for him. And it was kind of a cool moment to see him get the big win in the main event of Corkin against, you know, a opponent. I don't think he's beaten Shingo prior to this, right? No. So that's a happy moment for him, and that's that's good storytelling. And that's another thing. It's like the same kind of people who are going to complain about the match quality are the same people who are going to praise the quote-unquote storytelling of a Jay White match or of Evil's most recent run, you know? But they told a really awesome story here in that, like, Ishii's never been able to overcome Shingo. It's like, they gave you guys a really cool moment. Like, why don't you see that? I don't know. Um, I think that nothing can last forever. And while New Japan has always been great, they've never, ever, since 1972, had a run of excellent top main event level matches as they had have had over the last four, five, six, seven years. It's going to end at some point. So... Instead of complaining about these awesome matches and you're getting too much of it, why can't we just be, I don't know, grateful? (laughs) (laughs) Like, the match was awesome? Yeah, yeah, I love the matchup. Yeah, once again, that's the only thing that that hurt it for me was just the the lack of the crowd energy that we would typically get if this was a packed 
Cork and Hall crowd that could cheer like that. This would probably be turning even higher if they had like a real crowd behind it. There's going to be a day where people like, you know, miss and pray for matches like this in New Japan. So, yeah, you guys need to get it while while the getting's good. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and then uh, post match, we had the great thing there, where like these two guys are still continuing to fight each other after the bell, and still wanted to, to scrap. And so that was kind of a great little thing there. Oh, you know what that means? It means we're probably going to get some more Shingo Ishii down the line. Sign me up. Ah, <laughs> oh, darn it, Josh. We're gonna oh. get we're we're gonna get another great. Uh, banger between these guys. Dang it! Oh no! <laughs> Not incredible wrestling. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you guys should have been around when Shibata and Ishii used to fight each other. You guys would have hated it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, after that, let's talk about uh, Jeff Cobb. Two points, one and three. Um, I gotta tell you, we already talked about the match, so I mean, I don't have much more to say there. Jeff Cobb, underwhelming me. Big step up in this match, but again, it was not, you know, it wasn't like blow away. His promos, every night I'm listening to his promos, they're the worst promos in the company right now. They're complete, they're terrible, which I don't understand because he is a very articulate guy, very well spoken. I hear him on podcasts and, you know, actual interviews all the time, but like his promos suck. Yeah, and I think part of it, too, like you kind of mentioned earlier when you were talking about Taichi, you know, Taichi has this character. You see Jeff Cobb, like, what is his character? And I feel like he he doesn't really have, like, a character or persona. And he gets back there, and he's just talking like a dude. And, like, he doesn't come off like this kind of big, powerful bruiser guy that they're making him out to be or kind of any like, kind of, like, agenda or motive or any kind of thing. You know what I mean? Oh, you know what? Uh, I agree with that. But one thing I wanted to touch base on when you talked about him being a big bruiser and stuff, notice who he had a great match with, Kota Bushi. Now, granted, Kota Bushi is one of the best wrestlers out there, so anyone could have a good match with him. But Kota Bushi is more in line with the style of wrestling that Jeff Cobb does that I've mentioned many times. So we always expect him to have these bangers with like, you know, Goto and Ishii and, you know, people like that. But then he gets in there with, you know, a proto, you know, indie guy like Kota Ibushi who can, who's a master at that style. And he blends so well with Jeff Cobb. And it, it kind of shows what I've been talking about, how like, that's the kind of guy that he's used to working with that PWG, you know, super indie style versus, you know, the strong style of new Japan. Right. So, but, yeah, yeah. Performances have just, kind of been middle of the road. He hasn't really had any standout matches. This Ibushi match was his best match to date. And yeah, man, it's just, it's just kind of there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think if he's really signed, the company should intend to, to do something with him long-term, but I don't know what those intentions would be. We've seen them have great talent in the past, like say Lance Archer, for instance, and kind of let those guys slip through the cracks. Jeff Cobb was given offers from WWE, AEW. He chose to be in New Japan. I think both sides need to do everything in their power to maximize his time there. And, and you know, he's not wrestling main events in this G1. He's wrestling the undercard, but, you know, he's not blowing anybody away. This was a good step in the right direction with Kotobushi. But uh, these next five matches are pretty critical, I would say. Uh, yeah, I would say too. Uh, and then finally, we got Yujiro Takahashi. Zero points, zero wins, four losses. He lost to Minoru Suzuki. 
Is he going to be the first guy in this tournament to go winless since Tomoaki Hanma? I mean, at this point, I think it. it I think he's going to be. I mean, I'm sure he, he could <laughs> potentially pull some kind of upset. Maybe he decides to call his bull club brother in, in to, to help him get a win here. But at this point, he already has four losses. There's no coming back from the spot that he's at. At this point, yeah, just why not? Just 0 9. We, we have a question here, but I'm looking at the name. I don't even know who asked this question. It's uh, from Muzza. Uh, okay, so Muzza asked us, at this point in the tournament, would you rather have had Fale in Ujiro's spot in the G1? And that's actually a really tough question to answer because I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Well, I feel like if Fale is in this... Why has it got to be Fale? It can't be someone else that I... <laughs> who, who you want? Mikey Nichols? Oh, man. <laughs> I you, you know what? I probably would rather have Fale, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean... Uh, because with Fale, he has typically good matches with some of these guys. And, yeah, he's going to fuck off. But, like, you're also going to get other stuff from him. It's not all great stuff, but you're going to get other looks. With Ujiro, it's just the one look, and it's not a good one. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, with Fale in this A block, I mean, we've seen him have good matches with Okada, um, Ibushi. Uh, he's, had, he's, he's wrestled Osprey before, right, and had a good match. And there's a, yeah. There's a lot of guys in this block that would have given what he would have had good matches with because they would have essentially made him have a good match with them. Um, obviously, like him versus Cobb might not, might not have been good. Uh, him versus Taichi might not have been good. Him versus Jay White might not have been good. But everything else, like all those other opponents, we either seen in the past or – know how they work and would have gotten a good, you know, good performances out of Fale. Well, that is going to do it for our, um, you know, wrap up on, on the two block nights. Let's go through these questions we got here real quick. Yeah, let's do it. So, uh, shiny samurais Murat <laughs> asked us, he said, uh, which upset is more likely to happen? If at all Shingo over Okada or Ishii over Okada, Abushi winning against Okada really throws a wrench in my pickums. Hmm. I would say I, I think maybe the Shingo upset over Okada. I mean, we've seen Ishii beat Okada before in G one and get an upset kind of win over him. Um I, I think Shingo could use a, a big win over Okada. Ishii has beaten Okada in the past during the G one, but in their most recent outing, um Okada defeated him in the New Japan Cup last year. So it is possible, but I mean, I don't know. I feel like Shingo would be the bet. That's a big match. They've never fought one another before. First time. That would uh, be such a huge feather in the cap of Shingo, especially if they end up making him not be at the top of the the, uh, point totals, which it looks like it, it might be the case. So if I was to bet, I would bet on Shingo over Ishii personally. Yeah. So next question from a Reddit user Germanis says, "Love your show, thank you." Now that they were halfway to the block final night. What do you What do you think they are building up for the block finals for A block? Since night five, looks like there will be three people in contention: Okada, Osprey, and White. Okada versus Osprey to potentially win the block with Chaos teammate Ishii as a spoiler to White. For B block, I got nothing. I'll say this: they have two Lij versus BC matches that will matter. I think that you did a honestly. I think you did a really great job 
giving us a quick summation of what the finals are going to look like. I don't think it's as straightforward this year in either block as this is the clear-cut final. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think there's going to be at least two matches on both final nights that determine the block winner. Yeah, I think so as well. I mean, I think everybody's kind of pointing to that Okada-Osprey match, but, I mean, there could be other stuff that could potentially happen. Like we mentioned, it could be a situation in that in that match – there's either a, a draw or whoever wins causes somebody like a Jay White to kind of sneak through. Yeah, and we've been talking about this since, uh, you know, we gave our rundown of the our preview of the tournament with uh, Chris Sampson. He pointed out that he thought this is going to be a very parody-based block, and we kind of agreed, and so far it's proven to be that way, and I think we're going to continue to see that trend, you know, occur. So... On that final night, I think you're going to have four, maybe five people that could all potentially be alive going into the block final for sure. Yeah. Uh, at least A block's concerned. And then when it comes down to B block, I definitely think, yeah, the, the Kenta-Naito match and Sonata Evil matches are kind of the two key matches that are going to determine. And, I mean, all four of those guys could be alive going in, or you could have two of the guys going in, and one match is going to be like a spoiler kind of match, and the other guy wins and gets through kind of thing. Next question, and this is a question that everyone has been wondering and just been too afraid to ask. And I'll keep it strong style. We ask, we get asked the <laughs> tough questions. So, Staleburger Bun asked us. He said, "Which wrestler in the A block is the best kisser?" Man, that is a, a difficult question here. Um, is it? I don't think it's difficult at all. I'm, I'm, it's easy, easy question for me personally. All right. So, who are you going with? Kotobushi's obviously the best kisser in the A block. I mean, what about Taichi? I mean, he's 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 had Miho Abe for a while now. There's got to be something that's keeping her around. Listen, there's no evidence that I've ever seen that there's anything actually going on between him and Miho Abe. Like, I, I think there's something fishy about that whole relationship. <laughs> I won't speculate, but uh, I've never seen anything sexual between the two of them, but... We know Kota Ibushi was with Kenny Omega, and I mean that's a pretty hard, you know, fish to to, to land. So I mean, what, what about what about Yudro, man? To- Tokyo Pimp. Uh, maybe, but I don't know. If I had to give an outside person that you wouldn't expect, the other person I think that maybe could maybe possibly be there, Tomohiro Ishii, <laughs> because it's stop laughing. It's always the ones you never expect that are the best kissers, and you would never expect Tomohiro Ishii to be the best. I bet you he's probably a very sensitive lover. He, he could be. <laughs> Those are my answers. I'm sticking by it. Uh, so next question here from Ricky. He says, has there been anything that's either really disappointed you both or not delivered? Ooh, good question. I mean, there's been quite a few matches that have disappointed me, but – not to the extent to where like I would be ready to fully bury any of it, you know. Um, I think the standout disappointment for me has been um, a lot of Okada's matches, but namely the Ibushi match probably is the biggest disappointment so far in the tournament for me. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Okada's performance has been um, the biggest disappointment, and he hasn't really been delivering to the levels that he typically would. And like you mentioned that Ibushi match. While it was good, it was not anything near their uh, previous matches, so that was um, definitely a letdown there. 
Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that have a let down. I, I, I wanted Kenta and Zack Sabre Jr. to be a lot better than it actually ended up being. That kind of disappointed me a bit. Yeah, I wanted um, Naito and Goto to be a little bit better also. Uh, I was also disappointed by Zack and Naito, even mm. though other pe- uh, a lot of people didn't seem to be. I definitely was, but I, I gave my opinions on that last week. But yeah, uh, next question. Sir Sam said, I love how the G1 regularly puts heels against heels, pitting dickhead against dickhead. What has been your favorite heel versus heel match so far? For me, it's Kenta versus ZSJ, but there have been some pretty other great ones, some other you know pretty great ones. Uh, I mean, I really enjoyed Saber and Evil, and it's just one of those things where, like, even though they're both heel, Saber ended up playing the babyface in that matchup there and having to overcome the odds. Yeah, I agree with you. That's a great pick. Uh, Evil versus Saber was surprisingly very competent, very good match. I like that a lot better than Saber and Kenta or Saber Naito personally. Um, in the A block, Taichi against Minoru Suzuki, I thought was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, those would be my two. Those would be my two picks so far. I'd say. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up the questions. Now we have to uh, go through the schedule here for nights nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. So uh, before we get into it, can I just throw throw the disclaimer out there? I don't really want to throw out my predictions on these young lion matches. Cause I really don't know. I just think at the end of it, they're going to be pretty close. <laughs> yeah. So we can just, I, it's just going to continue to be a round Robin of people beating each other until like the finals. Yeah. So we can just say the young lion match and then not give a prediction for it. And just move on to the, to the actual tournament match. So perfect <laughs> on night nine, which will be tomorrow. If you're listening to us on Monday today, um, so the show will open up with Gabriel Kidd versus Yu Yamura. Then the first tournament matchup will be Yujiro Takahashi versus Shingo. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Shingo. I would be sorely disappointed if Yujiro upsets him here. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing Yujiro beat Shingo, so I'm going to go Shingo as well. After that, we got Jeff Cobb against Jay White. Um, this, this is a match... I think Jeff Cobb could win. I'll go with Jay White. Uh, say that one more time. You're breaking up. I said that, uh, Jeff Cobb against Jay White's a match that I could see Cobb winning, but I've got White here. Yeah, I'm saying you know, if Cobb loses, that'll be his fourth loss, and then he's pretty much done. Uh, man, Jay's been such on a roll, too. I think he's done. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm going to go with Jay, kind of keep that momentum going. Since he, he lost Osprey, kind of get back on the winning ways there. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, next match, Minoru Suzuki against Kazushiko Okada. Uh, I got to go Rainmaker here. Yeah, I'm going to go with Okada as well. Uh, then semi-main event, we got Stone Pitbull, Tomohiro Ishii versus Taichi. I think we're going to see Ishii get back in the wind column here. Yeah, I don't think Ishii's going to be done just yet. Yeah, so Ishii, vertical drop, brainbuster on Taichi. Uh, big main event, Kota Bushi versus Will Ospreay. And um, yes. I think Big Will, Billy the Goat, is picking up a big W here. Yeah, I'm also going Osprey here. Uh, mainly it's based off kind of their history. Obviously, Osprey got the first win at Wrestle Kingdom. Abushi beat him last year in the G1. So they're one and one now. Abushi got the last win. Uh, I'm going to go with the, the, the parody style booking here, get Osprey back the win. 
that all makes sense. I'm also just thinking based on projections for the point totals, I think Will really needs to beat Abushi and kind of rebound. So, Yeah. So then uh, moving on to night 10, which will be October 6th. We're kicking off with Yota Suji versus Yuya Yamura. Then the first tournament matchup will be Toroyano versus Hiroki Goto. No, I, I I don't know because I guess we have to kind of wait and see what's going on with Goto, but uh, I'll just go with Goto, I suppose. Yeah, I'm going to go Goto also. I think this is going to be the beginning of the end for the lineal provisional KOPW 2020 champion. <laughs> uh, after that, we've got uh, Zack Sabre Jr. versus Sonata, which uh, I've got highlighted as a standout match. Those guys always, always put on awesome performances against each other. I can't wait for that match. And uh, I think Sonata's going to win here. Yeah, Sonata being one in three, he can't eat another loss if he's going to win this B block. He's a big match from the last night. So, yeah, I think he's going to beat Sabre here. For people who are not fans of Sonata or Zack Sabre, this is like a match that you need to watch because it's going to highlight the best qualities of both guys. Yeah. So next up, we have flamboyant Juice Robinson against the King of Darkness Evil. Juice has never beaten Evil in singles competition ever, and I think it's going to stay that way here. I think Evil's picking up the W. Yeah, I'm sure we'll see some more shenanigans there that allows Evil to pick up the win. After that, we've got Tetsuya Naito against Yoshihashi. Um, I would love to say Yoshihashi, but I I just don't think it's plausible at all, so I'm going to go with Naito. Yeah, I'm going to go with the double champ here, but I'm expecting to be more impressed with Yoshihashi in this match than Naito. Um, wow, lofty statement. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, uh, main event, Tanahashi versus Kenta. They fought last year, and Kenta defeated Tanahashi. I think... Did he? Tana- yeah, didn't he? I thought Tanahashi won that match. I was pretty sure it was before the... Uh, it was like night two or night three, and Kenta beat Tanahashi. It was pretty shocking. Oh, for some reason, I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm remembering um, Tanahashi beating Kenta. I remember like Tanahashi tried to shake Kenta's hand, and Kenta wouldn't shake his hand. Yeah, so I thought that was like at the beginning of the match. No, it was afterwards. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I'm remembering wrong then. Yeah, I'm looking at right now, night three. And Kenta defeated Tanahashi, the only time they've ever fought singles. Gotcha, yeah. So for whatever reason, I remember the ace winning. But okay, so Kenta beat him last year. This is a hard one for me to call personally. I don't know. Wait, what are you thinking? Uh, I think... Uh, let's see, Kenta, he's two and two, so is Tanahashi, I'm gonna go with uh, Tanahashi winning this one. I think I'm going Kenta on this one. You're gonna go Kenta? Well, yeah, I'm going Kenta with this one. Yeah, I think, I think he can go either way. So night 11, we open up with uh, Gabriel Kidd versus Yotasuji, second match of the night, Tomohiro Ishii against Jiro Takahashi. Um, gonna go with Tomohiro Ishii. I'm gonna go with Ishii too. I'm just gonna play like just the odds at this point. I'm just gonna pretty much bet everybody against Ujiro and just take the risk of that of eating that L. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I feel like this is a winnable match for Ujiro. Yeah, I mean he he could, but yeah, I think Ishii is gonna get the win here. 
So then uh, uh, after, after that, the- we got o- Okada versus Jeff Cobb. I'm going Okada. Yeah, going to go Okada as well. I don't think Cobb's going to beat the Rainmaker here. Then after that, we got Minoru Suzuki taking on Will Ospreay. Osprey Suzuki, very interesting first time matchup. Um, that's one. Oh man, I'm gonna go Suzuki. Hmm. Um. I'm when I I'm going Suzuki because when I look at the remainder of the schedule, very few people can beat Will Osprey, but I think Suzuki's one of the people that could plausibly do it. I, I have to go Suzuki to keep things in line, I think, personally. Yeah, you know what? Yeah, you, you got me there. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Suzuki also. So the next up, we got Taichi versus Switchblade Jay White. That's another heel versus heel match people, some some people might be looking forward to. Uh, so Sam, <laughs> I, I'm going Jay White here. Yeah, I'll go Switchblade also. And then uh, the main event of that evening, Shingo versus Kota Ibushi. So it's like Shingo's booked pretty low, but he's got several main events coming up. Uh, night 11, Kota Ibushi, Night 13, Okada. So they're still treating him very well, even though his points don't reflect it. Um, I had Will Ospreay beating Kota Ibushi. I think I'm going to have Shingo beat Kota Ibushi as well. Yeah, I think Shingo still needs to be in the hunt at this point. I'm going to have him, yeah, beating Ibushi, especially since we you know Ibushi's facing off Taichi in the last night. I don't think he's going to finish quite as high as we think he is or as high as he is right now. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Shingo with a big win here. Nice. So that takes us to night 12, which will be October 8th. Opens up with Gabriel Kidd versus Yuya Yamura. Then the first tournament matchup will be... Um, tag partners, two thirds of the Never Six Man Champions facing off against each other: Hiroki Goto against Yoshihashi. Um, I, I guess I could maybe go Yoshihashi, just give him the upset win, but uh, it'll probably be Goto. But I don't know. I'll just say Yoshihashi. Keep things interesting. Yeah, I, I want to see Yoshihashi get another win here. I think Goto is a guy that he can beat, so I'm going to go Yoshihashi. Uh, after that, we got uh, Toru Yano against Zack Sabre Jr. Quite the stored history between these two. I'm going to go Zack. Yeah, also going to go Sabre here. Like we said, I feel like Yano's run's pretty much done here. Kenta Sonata, as I stated earlier, I think Sonata's going undefeated for the next little bit. So I think Sonata's uh, got Kenta's number here. Yeah, going with Sonata as well. Then the semi-main event, we have the double champ, Tetsuya Naito, taking on the flamboyant Juice Robinson. I've got Naito beating Juice. Just trying to think here, because I feel like Naito needs needs one more loss in this block. I'm just trying to think who else he's going to face. Well, he's get. got evil on night 14. Mm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with yeah, Juice winning this one then. And then Tanahashi versus Evil. Um... I think Evil has to beat him, right? Yeah. Go, go with Evil. Unfortunately. Nice. Night 13, Yoda Suji and Yuyamura open up the show. Second match of the night, Ishii versus Jeff Cobb. Uh, I'm going to give this one to Cobb. Yeah, I feel like Ishii's a guy that they wouldn't mind uh, you know, putting over for Cobb. And obviously Cobb needs some wins 
for the remainder of the tournament, even though he won't be in contention to win the whole block. So, yeah, I'll go with Cobb over Ishii. And then we've got Yujiro versus Jay White. Any chance Yujiro picks up a win here? <laughs> I mean, this could be one where, you know, they're too sweet in each other. Everything's, you know, ha-ha, funny-funny. We're Bullet Club. Jay White takes it easy. And then Yujiro just rolls this man up. Uh, possibly, but I just don't see it. I think Jay White's going to pick up the win here. You know, just just for the heck of it, I'm I'm gonna go with Yujiro here. Getting, oh my gosh, <laughs> getting the upset on Jay White. After that, we got Tai Chi versus Will Osprey. Um, you know, I sp- I misspoke earlier. I talked about how Suzuki is one of the only people that could beat him. I think Tai Chi could hypothetically upset Will Osprey, but uh, I'm gonna go with Will here. Yeah, I'm also gonna go with Osprey as well. Then the semi main event. We got uh, Minoru Suzuki against Kota Ibushi. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go with uh, Ibushi over Suzuki here. Yep, going to go with Ibushi as well. Which brings us to the main event. We've got the Dragon Chingo Takagi against the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada. Ooh, big, big, big match. Um, I think for booking purposes, it's very... There's just so much more storytelling. Like, there's more interesting things you can do from a story standpoint. If you choose to have Shingo go over Okada here, but I don't know that that's the most likely scenario. But just looking at the field of competitors that Okada has, I feel like he needs to eat this loss against Shingo. Yeah, I mean, I would love to see uh, Shingo get the win here. I'm just feeling, I feel like we, we put Jay. And Osprey over a lot, so I feel like Okada got to stay kind of balanced with them. Um, like Okada, Okada definitely needs to win the majority of his matches coming up. He needs to probably. I mean, I don't know. He's already got two losses, so it's either he's going to go undefeated or he's going to eat one loss. And that, the Shingo match is the one that screams out to me as potential loss. You know. Yeah, he definitely, I think he's going to eat one more loss. And yeah, yeah, Shingo probably makes the most sense. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Let's go Shingo over Okada. And then the final night we'll be covering night 14, October 11th. Gabriel Kidd versus Yotasuji to open things up. And then we've got ZSJ versus Yoshihashi. Um, you know what? Saber's not going to be in contention for winning this thing. Why not? Let's go Yoshihashi. Getting another upset win here. Uh, I'm going to go ZSJ there. Then we've got Kenta versus Toriano. I've got Kenta. Yeah, I got Kenta as well. And then uh, I've got Sonata going over Juice on the fourth match of the night. Yeah, Sonata's pretty much going to be on a a run there. So Sonata over Juice. Then the semi-main, Tanahashi versus Hiroki Goto. I'm going to go Tanahashi. Yeah, I'm going to go Tanahashi as well. Go Ace. And then in the main event of the evening, I think Evil will be defeating Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, I'm going to go with Evil as well. Um, get some revenge from the loss in Jingu, and then you could potentially do another Naito Evil title match at Power Struggle. So six six nights and seven days. We got quite a bit to cover uh, coming up next week on Keeping a Strong Style. Uh, this past Friday was New Japan Strong. Uh, the line's Break Crown Night 2? Uh, yes, Night 2. 
Um, in semifinal match action, Clark Connors defeated Logan Regal. Um, second match of the night, Danny Limelight defeated Blake Christian. So it'll be Danny Limelight taking on Clark Connors in the final of the Lions Break Crown. Yeah, I think last week we kind of predicted this, this exact scenario, this final of Clark Connors and Danny Limelight. Makes the most sense here. Clark Connors being the one like main actual New Japan guy representing the LA Dojo in this tournament. Danny Limelight's a guy we've seen. They've kind of told this story with Rocky Romero, and there's, it seemed to be high on him. So, yeah, it makes all the sense. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Clark Connors winning this thing. Yeah, uh, Danny. I think Danny Limelight would be the easy pick just because Clark Connors is a young lion, and it's easy to book sort of the uh, – you know, the tragic tale where he kind of falls short in the final. But when I look at Danny Limelight, who is a good talent and he's a good hand, I just don't know what you do with him in the context of this grand opportunity afterwards. So I, I, I guess it really depends on what the winner even truly gets because we don't know. I mean, if it was just like, say, a shot against Kenta, then maybe I would go Danny Limelight. I, I don't know. You know, to keep things interesting, I'll, I'll, I've kind of talked myself into it. I'm going to go Danny Limelight because I just think that whoever wins this is not going to be a big push or anything anyways. So yeah. I feel like Clark getting to the finals tells a pretty good story, and I think he will lose to Danny Limelight. Yeah, I just think they, they've been telling a good story over the last couple of weeks with Connors, you know, quickly submitting people. Once he locks in the Boston Crab, they quickly submit, and he's kind of really aggressive and on a tear, so... I, I feel like he's going to bring that into the final match here with Limelight. For me, I feel like if it's just some sort of quick little money grab opportunity, then Danny Limelight's your guy. But if it's some prolonged, like, hey, he won the Lions Break crown, it's this, like, achievement, then maybe you go Clark Connor. So I think it kind of depends on what this even is. And since we, it's sort of ill-defined, we don't really know. Yeah. So, semi main event of the night, we had Brody King and Flip Gordon defeating the team of Carl Fredericks and TJP. That was the great very, TJP? Yes, the great TJP was on action on NJPW Strong. Um, I thought it was very interesting that they had the great TJP eat the fall here instead of Clark, uh, Carl Fredericks. Well, Brody King and Flip Gordon been eating enough losses, so, I mean, got to do something. Right, I just thought they would, they would have pinned Carl and not TJP. Now Carl's been eating too many losses too. It's time for TJP to take this L. What do you mean, Carl? I mean, Carl just he just beat Mysterioso a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, but prior to that, he was getting beat a lot. <laughs> yeah, got got beat uh, up by uh, Kenta and Cobb. Main event: Bullet Club, Chase Owens, Hikaleo, Jay White, and Kenta defeated Dave Finley, Jeff Cobb, Mysterioso, Junior, and Rocky Romero in the main event. So, yeah, this was. Pretty good main event here. Um, Hikaleo ends up hitting his, uh, I think they call it the gunsling. Um, I think he hit it on he hit it on Mysterioso, and he cut, put Chase on top of him. So Chase got the pinfall thanks to Hikaleo. They call it the best pure hour of wrestling in television. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> and then uh, next week we'll have the finals of the Lions Break Crown as Danny Limelight will take on Clark Connors, and I'm sure there will be some more matches there with some of the stars there of NJPW Strong. High stakes. <laughs> um, so then we move into the the one big news item for the week, um, change in NJPW directorship. So at a meeting at New Japan Pro Wrestling's parent company, Bushi Road's board directors, on September 29th, 
They uh, announced a change in leadership at NJPW, and the change will take effect at the beginning of NJPW's 50th year of trading on October 23rd. So Harold May, Big Harold, is going to be out as president-slash-CEO, and the new president-slash-CEO will be Takami Obari, who's currently the CEO of NJPW of America. So, Josh, thoughts thoughts on, on Big Harold, Uncle Harold, leaving? I'm just wondering if at the next big show, maybe, like, say, at the Dome, if... Uh... Omari's gonna end up like doing an entire vignette where he runs down to the <laughs> ring and like like Ultimate Warrior style. Um, I actually once we were we were in a group chat talking about uh, Harold Harold May leaving, and I try to find a gif of that moment, but apparently no one's gifted that uh <laughs> <laughs> that him running down to the New Japan ring. <laughs> um, you know this thing, it's kind of strange in a way. Um. Remember last year there was rumors that Harold was leaving and resigning and like it was quote unquote unfounded. Maybe it was, but the fact that like it sort of seemed like a story that leaked and then it was like proven to not be true. And then now he actually is suddenly sort of resigned or dismissed or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's very precarious. Um, I wish I had really great insight into what's going on here, and I don't. Um, some things that I know, like, for instance, that Dave Meltzer sort of reported that are interesting is, like, he had, um, speaking of Harold, he had, pr- like, promised investors that they were going to do $100 million in revenue, and that would have required them signing extremely lucrative television deals, which didn't happen. And... Um, that was one of the big things under when he, I don't know if you remember this, when he first got into power and he started discussing how they were going to maybe pull back on some of the like North American expansion stuff and other countries and and expand into those markets via television versus live, uh, live shows and, and that sort of thing. And then that never really did happen. In fact, like they lost some of those TV deals and they expanded the number of shows that they did, which didn't translate into growth, didn't translate into subscriptions, anything of that nature. Um, and I don't think it really increased the bottom line for them as a company. Um, other things that have happened under his watch, they, I mean, there's no denying that they, they've grown exponentially uh, and done fantastic business. I, I know the COVID situation is something that has occurred that probably prevented a lot of the plans they had for this past year, uh, which is outside of his control. But at the same time, I mean, look at some of the stars that they were unable to do business with and, and, you know, lost ultimately under his watch, Kenny Omega, the young bucks, Lance Archer, um, Cody, that's all translated into this AEW situation coming you know, basically they helped create their own, um, maybe not to the same degree that Ring of Honor did, but they helped create their own competition, which I don't know if that's something that's reflected positively on him either. Right. And yeah, I know like you, we kind of joke about the whole him like running down to to the ring in the promo video. And, you know, I've heard that like a lot of people kind of 
in the office in New Japan did not like him, you know, putting himself front and center. There was that whole thing. There was one angle at one point where he got in, like, with the Bullet Club, like, threw the Bullet Club out on one show. I forgot which show it was. And so, and also, he was, he was doing a, a lot of, of media interviews and stuff like that. And it kind of seemed like he was kind of like the center focus and kind of getting attention for himself. So I know there, there's, like, rumors of, like, the office not really liking the way he kind of handled himself in that way. There was tons of rumors of wrestlers not liking him. Um, you know, when he came on, he stopped, you know, the, the English wrestlers from cursing, and um, he, he tried to get rid of, you know, blade jobs, and he was trying to make it a more a family product. Obviously, coming from a toy company, it's kind of what he knows, and so he was trying to make it more of a family product. And then we've, we've heard stories of, of wrestlers, and obviously, particularly, the, uh, allegedly, the Young Bucks and Kenny not liking him, and also the, the breakdown in communication there. Um, well, you know, he used his power to keep Kenny Omega out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, there's other things to keep in consideration, too. Um, I, I was actually reading some comments online about, like, the way business is done in Japan and how it's very different from what we're accustomed to here in the States. And so there was some speculation that, hypothetically, this might have just been, like, a unilateral movement. Um, kind of like a shuffling of like restructuring of, of um, Bushi Road in general, and maybe not didn't reflect so negatively on Harold as you know as far as being the president CEO that sort of thing. But um, there was a comment, or at least a report from the Super J Cast, where they mentioned how, in lieu of um, like his stock, he lost all access to his stock and was basically given a severance pack instead, which, uh, might be a key indicator that this wasn't as amicable as they've kind of reported it to be. Right. I know there, I heard some, some rumors as well that there could potentially have been some, you know, heat between him and Kadani. Maybe they didn't have the best relationship. Um, I know he kind of wrote like a, a kind of go, a goodbye letter on his blog. And I don't think he really mentioned, uh, working with Kadani at all. And so, could be some heat there yeah i mean it's it's hard to know um and some of these questions we'll probably never get answers to but um i do think that harold did some really good things while he was there but some bad things happened while he you know under his watch as well um there's a lot of transitions happening in new japan with talent and things like that and with this newest shift in management, it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what Obari's um, strategy is and what's going to kind of make him stand out. I mean, obviously, if I'm him, number one priority is working on getting a TV deal um, in America. Yeah, that's the one key thing. Um, you know, I think that they should also take a look at revamping their business model when it comes to live touring i mean if you take a look at you know what's happened with all the other major companies i mean aw is not even doing live touring and ww is reducing that greatly and it's because of the tv rights fees that they get and we've mentioned so many times how like that is the next step if, if this company really wants to grow and be a major player as they have been but like you know truly step up and be on that level they need more lucrative television deals and they need the, they need the right person who can ink those deals and help expand the exposure of new Japan pro wrestling around the world. And, uh, 
that didn't happen with Harold, unfortunately. Yeah. So we also we had a question here from uh, Rambo and Slam Pig. It says, with Harold May apparently getting sacked, is the forbidden door about to open? Uh, you know, there were there were reports that when AW first came to fruition, you know, during those meetings with, uh, you know, the Elite and New Japan around Wrestle Kingdom time a couple years ago, that there were initial intentions for them to work together and it just didn't end up coming to pass. I don't know how much that has to do with Harold May, but maybe, I mean, it's a maybe because I don't know what the, here's the one thing. I don't really see a lot of benefit from New Japan side, to be honest with you. Everybody who works in AEW that wants to come to Japan, that's a big enough star to be able to do so already has the clause to do that. So why would, why would, New Japan be let themselves be a B side in any kind of negotiation with that company when they already have access to most of their talent, which is pretty much the whole reason that they're looking to do this. I mean, they if they did quote unquote come into like some sort of trade deal, they would have to be obligated to serve some sort of like purpose to AEW and send guys to AEW and be beholden to their booking and things like that. When right now they're not at all, but they can still use their talent anytime they want. They have access to Kenny Omega. They have access to John Moxley. They have access to Luke Harper, access to FTR, Jericho, young Pro- Jericho, Moxley. So, I mean, there's not, I don't think there really is a lot of upside for New Japan. I think AEW is the one who gets benefited more. And I'm not saying that from a bias standpoint. I think I just laid out the reasons why that's a proven fact. Right. With New Japan's relationship with ROH, um, they are the A side on that relationship. And they, they kind of have, you know, the kind of stake and control in that Ring of Honor relationship. And, um, you know, definitely they can kind of take what they want from Ring of Honor. We've seen that, you know, through the ROH relationship, they've kind of gotten the buildings that ROH has ran and was able to run that Northeast tour. Um, and New Japan's definitely been more beneficial to ROH when they run those War of the Worlds and. Um, global wars tours and stuff like that and so njpw really kind of controls that relationship with roh and um it's kind of better for them right now and i mean like what would happen if they did come into some sort of trade agreement i mean they're gonna get what mjf like I, i don't know what they benefit from that in fact if they are still trying to expand into america they're they're technically rivals and competitors given their status in the world of wrestling i I just don't see the benefit i think that this quote-unquote forbidden portal is going to stay closed (laughs) yeah i mean i guess the one benefit you could argue is you know if new japan guys are on tnt that's getting new japan guys exposure especially if they mention new japan on tnt and kind of put new japan over that could bring some eyeballs over to new japan well that's kind of true but think about if they were trying to shop around for a us tv deal that might actually be a detriment to them if you think of it from that standpoint too right um but that is gonna do it for the news we, uh last couple things we just got some questions and then recommend a match of the week and we're done yeah so first question here from just a little bear zero one says if the world tag league rumors prove true do you think that is when gals and anderson make their return um i don't follow impact enough to kind of know what obligations they have over there. But if they do do a world tag league, 
that would seem like a great place to reintroduce Gallows and Anderson. Yeah, I think that would make the most sense if these guys can, you know, get in the country during that time period and depending on what the storylines are of Impact. I know Impact it has been um, taping a lot ahead of time, which allows their wrestlers to work other dates. So if they all the Impacts are taped and they're free and they can get into the country, I think that makes a lot of sense. So uh, next question from Viking Paint says, have you guys seen this? And it's a link to um, Kawato's new face mask where the picture of it looks it says way to the grandmas. Um, and so is Kawato's entire gimmick a rib at this point, or is this man going to morph from the Grandmaster into the Gilf Master? Oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think it's a. I don't think it's a rib. I just think uh, it's an unfortunate photo, and leave it at that. Uh, I don't really want to have a discussion about Gilfs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just some unfortunate uh, picture taken there. <laughs> So, uh, next question from Highest Fly Flow. It says, is Takayama a member of Suzuki-gun? Was watching this Makabe versus Suzuki match from 2011, and Takayama distracted and even attacked Makabe. Is he an unofficial member? Of course, he has been paralyzed, though, been making great progress in the last months. So, will we, prob- so we will probably not know, but did something else happen that could say he's a member? Um, no, because I don't even think Suzuki-gun existed in 2011. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that, but Takayama and Suzuki have had tag teams across all of Japan. Uh, I think almost all companies, they've been in numerous stables across Noah as well as new Japan prior to Suzuki Goon. So, but at no point has, uh, Takayama ever worked in a company with Suzuki where Suzuki Goon was a thing to the best of my knowledge. So no, uh, he's never been a member or even an unofficial member. Like there's, there's no connection there. Then last question here from Wes Handley from the wrestling square circle Facebook group. He says Shingo's top three matches not with Ishii. He says his picks are Osprey from best of super juniors, Kojima, uh, from the G one qualifier 2019 and then versus Naito from G one 2019. Uh, those are good matches. I I would disagree. Um, I don't think the Kojima, even though the, though the Kojima match is very good, I don't think it's n- anywhere near the level of matches he's had with other people. And uh, I was never as into that Naito match as other people were last year, personally. Um, I, I guess we're just talking about his matches in New Japan because if you talked about the span of his career. I mean, he's had some incredible matches in uh, Dragon Gate USA, Dragon Gate, All Japan. I don't know. Uh, what do you think are like his top three matches in New Japan, I guess? So, I mean, obviously the Osprey match, like you mentioned here from Best of Super Junior Finals, is going to be his top one. Um, I think, you know, one of the Ishii matches um, you can put up there. Um, Trying to think what other kind of big matches he's had that were really, really good. Um, uh, well, I would go with Show. His uh, match with Show from uh, Best Super Juniors. Yeah. Um, and then it, both Will Ospreay matches are easy answers, honestly. But uh, I'll just go with the Super Juniors one. 
And then um, his match with Hiroki Goto. That's right. Yeah, the Goto series. Uh, from G1 last year would probably be the next one I'd go with. Yeah. So, yeah, Shingo definitely putting in some work here in New Japan. There's, there's a lot of good, high-quality one-on-one matches with him. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for the questions. Uh, last we got here, recommended match of the week. So last week, my pick was Tomohiro Ishii versus Yujiro Takahashi for the Never title at King of Pro Wrestling 2014. Yeah, so um, I was given the task of reviewing this match. Um, interesting thing here, Yujiro, the only singles title run he's ever had was when he ran with the Never Openweight title. And um, he had recently defeated Tomohiro Ishii to, to win this belt. And it was coming hot off the heels of his, uh, you know, basically leaving chaos and uh, turning his back on them to help um, AJ Styles win the IWGP title. So he was sort of on a little bit of a hot run there. And um, that first match he had with Tomo Hiroishi, extremely disappointing. So I don't think people were expecting a lot here from this King of Pro Wrestling rematch, but this is probably one of the greatest carry jobs in the history of professional wrestling. Um, Tomohiro Ishii like did everything in his power to make Ujiro look like a million bucks. Ishii wrestled from the, from underneath, uh, as an underdog baby face, the entire match. Uh, the first half is a little slow for my taste, but the second half is where things really, really, really pick up. And, um, like Ishii just sells his ass off, makes Ujiro look like a million bucks, uh, you know, makes every single, you know, um, cheating tactic that he uses uh, look effective and, and, you know, menacing. And really, these guys go back and forth at the end of the match to, like, keep things in doubt. And to his credit, Ujiro does put forth probably one of the best efforts he's ever, you know, made in a match. By far the best match of his career. Dave Meltzer went four and a half here, and I don't think that's uh, far off at all. Yeah, this was a great matchup here. Ujiro, like you mentioned, putting in, you know, probably the best effort he has. He was putting on some great stuff. Like, the angle slam looked great. These guys were German suplexing each other into the into the corners, buckle bombs in the corners. The crowd was super behind Ishii. Uh, I believe he had his shoulder taped up in the match, like you mentioned. So he's an underdog. Baby face here working from underneath with the injury and, you know, trying to get back to never title. And yeah, I thought it was a great uh, back and forth matchup. If you want to see a great Ujiro match, this is the match to watch. Oh, and spoiler, Ishii gets uh, the title back. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but one thing I didn't know, because also I wasn't watching New Japan at that time. So Ujiro, this man, he went from Val Venus to the Godfather. So in this match, he came out yeah. with, with a towel wrapped up and the music sounded very similar to like, something like a Val Venus would come out to. <laughs> Yeah, I think they're trying to make him like a ladies' man or something like that. Uh, I don't know. But uh, my recommended match of the week, uh, we're going to kick it all the way back to um, 1991, I believe. Yes, 1991. So I am recommending the first ever G1 final match between Kijimuto and Masahiro Chono. Um, this is the match that probably made both of their careers and really was like the start, even though the annual Grand Prix tournament kind of dates back 
as I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago, way, way, way back. I mean, the G1 starts in 1991. It starts with these two guys and uh, just an incredible, incredible match. Like if you've never seen it, um, easily the match of the year in New Japan for that year. And um, something that I think every wrestling fan needs to see, August 11th, 1991, two of the three, uh, you know, uh, I was going to say pillars, uh, musketeers just going tooth and nail. And uh, I won't give away the winner, but I will say the famous moment at the end of this match, because it's from Sumo Hall, is where the entire crowd starts tossing their pillow cushions into the crowd to uh, you know show their approval of the match. And uh, it's a pivotal moment kind of showing the turn from um, the era of Inoki and Fujinami and Choshu and going into the era of Muto, Chono, and uh, Hashimoto. Nice. So looking forward to checking that out this week. And uh, that's going to wrap things up for us here on this week of Keeping It Strong Style. Next week, we'll be back to review nights 9 through 14 of the G1 Climax. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate. Clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style. Follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com. Flash Social Suplex. You can also find us in the Facebook uh, group, Facebook uh, Wrestling Squared Circle, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, you can follow us at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Y'all just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at SocialSuplex.com. And you can check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Bunny Chain Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have Grown Men Watch This Shit. On Thursdays, we have Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. On Fridays, we have the 8-Bit Suplex with Josh Number 2 and Sandy. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin. So don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Yvonne. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.